Oh my God, guys, welcome so much. Welcome, welcome to The Sharp Way. I am Larry Sharp. I'm so happy you came here this Monday evening again, 8 to 10, two hours of amazing conversation. And this time, what is so amazing is I have someone who I'm so happy to be with. I have the one and only Deborah Altman is here. Hey, everyone. Thanks so for having So happy me. To, to have you here. And if you want to talk to her, you absolutely can. Um, I would like you, if you can, to uh, call the number on your screen right now. What is the number again? I've actually forgotten it. 574. Is that right? 427. I've actually forgotten. It's. I have to get the number. Um, there you go. It's right there. There we go. 573-427-5463. Give us a buzz. You can talk to her. Talk to me. Uh, probably more interesting to talk to her. It's fine. Because I got to tell you something, Deborah. I am a Debratarian. I am. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Deborah is the one and the only elected libertarian in New York State. It's amazing. And out of New York City, which is even crazier, you would think that that's not possible. But it actually is true in New York City. It's crazy. Um, and I, I want to ask you a crazy question. You and I, I know you, and I know some of your background. And I know that... There was a, a time in your life when you didn't even know what a libertarian was, right? There really wasn't what you were. Scratch that. That's that's boring. Let me go to tarot cards. Tarot cards. I want to go tarot cards. Okay. You used to make money tarot cards, right? Yes. Tell me that story. Okay. So um, like a lot of people, I had different trades and different jobs throughout my life. I've worked in national service. Um, I've also done for-profit and non-profits. But when I became a mother and I had to balance out my childcare needs along with my work, I decided to become an entrepreneur and take a, a skill that actually is part of my family tradition mm-hmm. and go onto the streets as a tarot card vendor. Got it. Okay. And this was a way for me to make my own hours, yep. my own pay, mm-hmm. and my own schedule. So I went out to the streets with just a tiny little stand mm-hmm. with my deck of cards and with a little sign saying tarot card readings. And I did this in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and also uh, in parts of Manhattan. And let me guess, the, the local government was so supportive of you that they immediately said, well done, I'm so happy you're making money and spurring the economy. And they in some way, shape or form rewarded you for your awesome entrepreneurship and, and, and your value given to the community. Well, I wish that was the case, Larry. But unfortunately... During my time that I was actually making almost $200 a day. Nice. uh, Just offering, like I said, a service voluntarily to people of New York City. Right. The police came and they started to threaten us with fines, with arrests, and uh, with tickets because we didn't have what was called a vendor's license. Now, this was an issue in New York City that vendor's licenses are actually restricted where you can't even apply for them anymore. But if you don't have one, you're not allowed to become a, a street vendor. So it's literally a catch-22. I cannot go on the street and actually uh, offer a product or a service, but I can't actually get the license that would require me th- the permission to do so. But hold on. So what if you were instead to sit on the corner instead and, and put a sign out and say, I'm hungry, please give me money? Well, technically, panhandling is illegal as well. Do they, do they go by and stop those, those people? They do not. They don't. But they stopped the the entrepreneurs and the vendors that were trying to make an earnest living by just offering products and services to the community, and they weren't harming anyone in the process. Gotcha. So you, of course, said, well, I respect that because the law is the law, and you were happy, and you thought, great, yes, government's awesome. Well, unfortunately, I would like to think that was the case. I am batting zero here. Okay, go ahead. 
But I'm, because I have a child at home and mm-hmm. I didn't want to face uh, being fined with, with uh, tickets or arrest, that was something About how that, much would that have been? Do you know what the ticket would have been? The ticket was 65 to $75. That's half a day's pay. That's a half a day's pay. And that was the maximum that I was earning. So I couldn't take that risk. Right. Um, and unfortunately, you couldn't get the license. So what I had to do, unfortunately, to make uh, ends meet, I ended up trying to go into the actual welfare system. And this happened for a very brief time in my life because I had no other options. No, I, I get it completely. Yes. Not able to work for my own. And your, your child is also special needs, right? She is a special needs child. And so I work around her schedule to make sure that I am home for her, to make sure that she's thriving in life. So she is my first and foremost priority. Sure. And so, like I said, but I do keep the roof over my head. So when I went into the public service, um, into the welfare system, and I applied for it, it was the first time I've ever applied for anything. And my taxes paid for these services my entire life. Mm-hmm. I realized how much of a difficulty it was for people who actually go and try to ask the government for help okay. and how it wasn't actually there to help us. It was there to maintain us. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So it didn't help me get out of poverty. It actually, what it did was it helped me further into it and it kept me there with preventing a ceiling over my head mm-hmm. that if I earned X amount of dollars over this, they would cut me. But it also prevented me from having a glass seal, um, uh, uh, any kind of safety net. Mm-hmm. You also couldn't have any resources or savings in order to qualify. So I couldn't earn up this much. I couldn't save up to this much. So there's a small little area where you can qualify for these services. And if you go up or down, you get cut immediately. So basically what it's the system system has made you either follow directly and stay poor or lie to the system. And right. And that's what a lot of people, unfortunately, they do. lie they, to the system. They find ways around it. Right. Um, and like I said, if people want to talk about numbers, the qualifications, the amount of uh, maximum that you were allowed to earn at that time that I, I was looking was about $1,600 a month. Okay. Now, anyone who knows what New York City rent is like. <laughs> yes. That's about yes. the price of a one bedroom. Yes. That's not food. That's not a car. That's not any other. That's not clothing. That's not anything else, but literally just the roof over your head if right. you're the one that's providing that for yourself. The resources that you're required to, to keep, the maximum resources in all of your savings and checkings was 2000 Wow. Month. It's 2000 That was it. So that was a qualification. If I kept more than $2,000 in any kind of savings account, which, by the way, is less than a month's worth of actual uh, service, um, right. actual expenses, you also lost your services. So a lot of people want to blame pe- people who fall into the welfare system, but afford- it's not really their fault. But it's funny. You just, you just gave me a reason why. I remember this is one of the reasons why you still find people, whether they're police hunting for civil asset forfeiture, whether they're thugs hunting for, for people, they fight in those communities because those communities have cash because they can't have bank accounts. Yes. Because if they do, they lose their services. I have friends actually keep their money in their mattresses. Yes. Today. Yes. Just to make sure that they don't have that money in an account where the government can actually see that they have this. Absolutely. So the, the funny thing is, years ago, I used to, I used to sell craftmatic beds. It's years ago. And it's a, a very important lesson uh, in my life here. I was out selling beds and they would give me a bunch of appointments and I would go to houses and I would sell these beds. These beds are relatively expensive. The cheapest one is probably a couple thousand dollars. The expensive one is probably more like four or five or six thousand dollars if you got the expensive big model. I don't know if this is maybe 20 years ago, so I, I'm sure they're more expensive now. But back then, that was a lot of money, obviously, for someone to spend. And I would get appointments that were in wealthy neighborhoods, that were in poor neighborhoods, that were literally in, in public housing and all over the place. And I'd always get upset. I'm like, why you sent me to this public housing place? They're not going to have any money. Oh, my God. I'm not getting good leads, right? Oh. And one of my bosses said, Larry, don't you dare think that. You can't judge people, number one, by where they live. You just can't. You, you don't know. The guy who lives in the great neighborhood 
that house might be empty. He might just want that zip code for his kids, and he, has, he doesn't even have a, a bed to live in, right? You have no idea. And I literally went to houses like that, where I'd go to a house, and it'd be in a ritzy neighborhood. The lawn's a disaster. There's no furniture in the house. They just want the zip code. So they're paying all of their money to have the zip code for their kids to go to school district, but they had nothing else. And I found people who had like three cars and were very wealthy. I mean, had everything. And I would go to a place where you'd be like, this is the projects. This is a terrible area. And people have money. You would never know. And I wonder a couple of homes. homes. Yes, you never know, right? He, he was totally right in not judging. But but more importantly, I would go into a place where I would think, I would say, oh, they don't have much money. It would be my, 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 I'd be judging them. They don't have much money. And then they'd say yes. And they'd go, like you said, to their bedroom and come out with $4,000 in cash. And say, yeah, yeah, we'll take the bed. I'm like, okay. So I, I, I really, I saw that in action. The, the value of cash. I think it was Don King who said it years ago. He said if someone comes from a poor neighborhood, that they're very more apt to see cash as more valuable than a check That's because right. they don't know about they – they're not part of the banking system and many of that's cultural for – much of that's cultural for many years. Unfortunately, that also causes a lot of issues for, for people in poverty. Um, just trying to get a loan. From yep. the government, if you wanted to, to let's say, become a homeowner, sure. and you went to the government, and you went to the, these banks, and you said, I'd like to borrow a loan, you can have the most perfect credit score. You can have all this money in your savings account, but if you don't have what's called debt-income ratio, okay, a debt-to-income ratio, meaning you don't have the income coming in, you can have $100,000 in your savings account, but if you're not showing that you're earning this every month, you'll actually get a, a denied a loan now. Mm-hmm. Banks right now will only loan up to 45% of what your actual income is coming in. So your debt-to-income ratio is a 45%. So if you wanted to, we all know how much houses cost nowadays. Uh, the average house is five to 600000 in just Staten Island. Um, I know in Brooklyn and Manhattan, it's oh, extraordinarily sure. more than that. Absolutely. So how much are people earning? Right. So now the poor people can't actually own their homes because they're not able to get the loans. So everybody rents. So that's why everybody rents. That's right. exactly right. So the only people who can actually own something are people who are either grandfathered in because you know their grandfather, grandmother purchased this house 20, 40, 50, 100 years ago, or they're wealthy and they can afford to you know, buy mass amounts of housing. I think you find that during every recession. Right? Recession comes, the people who are in middle class have to sell all their assets to homes, the wealthy are all liquid, they pick up all the homes, now more renters. And repeat, there's actually repeat, repeat. Um, a high uh, percentage of foreclosures right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that aren't able to even afford the houses that they own yep. because of the property taxes that are increasing and all the other expenses. So people who have been living in their homes, and these are now the elderly. Yep. These are the disabled. Mm-hmm. These are people who have had their homes for 20, 30 years that own them are starting to go into foreclosures because they're not able to keep up on all the overhead costs. And literally, property taxes are like rent right now. Yes. The average cost of property taxes is about six, 7000 Uh So you're talking about 10% of what the value of that home is forever. Yes. And it's ever increasing. Now, we know that fixed incomes do not go up. People on Social Security are not getting the same increases not of the hyperinflation yeah. of these property taxes, which is hyperinflated three times the amount of, of salaries, uh, so of wages. So a lot of people sit there and say, well, why don't we just, you know, increase the wages? It's not that you can't just increase wages. You should be deflating the housing. And the way to do that is to take away property taxes based on value. Because the reason the government does this is because the more value something has, the more taxes they could collect. Mm-hmm. So they keep raising the value. And that's what's actually causing this hyperinflation. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And the, the appraisal comes in and goes. The appraisal says, yep. well, this year you went up 50000 Well, this is my primary home. It shouldn't matter what the value is. This is my home that I live in. Now, if you want to talk about you know, any other property, that's fine. But the home that the person lives in, I don't believe should be taxed. 
because that's their primary home. They're not using it as an asset. They're not using it as an equity. They're using so it you think, to keep you the think roof that, over their head. That, that property tax should not exist on your primary home. Absolutely not. Why not? Because it's not your, that's your home that you live in. Mm-hmm. If you physically took the money, yep. the time to own this home, it should be yours. Now, some people uh, argue, well, then we should have some kind because property taxes are unfortunately tied into the education system. And for, for sure in New York State, not, I don't know if every state does it, but I know New York State does. New York, but not every state does. So mm-hmm. there are ways that we can actually adapt other states and how they find a way around that in order to still provide their roads and their schools. But I always said that if you wanted to really not just go extreme and abolish it completely, it should be a flat land tax. That if this is the amount of square footage that my home is on, that should be the amount that I pay flat. Mm -hmm. That's a permanent price for the amount of space that I'm occupying in this city. It should not be based on value. And what's happening is if I put a garage on the back of my house, all of a sudden the value goes up, the government gets more money. Why is it improving my own personal home a reason for the government to take more money out of my my me every but, so if this I had a bedroom, this, same so thing. In this idea, this wouldn't apply to commercial real estate, I assume. No. And it and it, and it wouldn't apply to apartment buildings? Apartment buildings, the the land the 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 well, okay. So See there's a problem with the apartment buildings, right? If if I have a large apartment building in particularly in Manhattan, the amount of space that I'm taking up is minuscule, right? It's a small amount of space that I'm taking up right. compared to how many apartments I have, right? I might have 400 units. I do say that right, the, the landlord, in a small spot. the landlord is paying a property tax on it. But if the landlord's paying property tax on it, right, then in reality, aren't the renters because the renters they're paying, paying the part rent? Of that. So the landlord, as his property tax value goes up, that's what raises your rents. Yep. If you were to lower the property tax or you keep it flat. Well, then that's an easy way to keep all your rents flat as well. And so the way to naturally do rent stabilization is to keep the taxes stabilized. Mm-hmm. And so by keeping the value of that property that he's renting out, you know, on a daily, on a, a monthly basis or a yearly basis, whatever the, the lease is, in order for him to keep, maintain those prices, we to keep him also at a flat tax. So I think if it's any, anyone who rents a primary home, if you're renting someone as a primary home, mm-hmm. then it should be a flat land tax. If I'm owning my own home as a primary, it should be a flat land tax. So uh, that would be, particularly in New York State, I mean, that would be a massive decrease in revenue, right? I mean, imagine all the property tax and land tax that we have in New York City, New York State. If we did that, right? massive decrease in in revenue for the state. There's other ways that we can gain revenue and we can do it without taxing someone's home, which is literally life, liberty, pursuit, or happiness, pursuit, or property. So those things should not be taxed. You know, people say that, you know, uh, it's a, your home is, is, is one of those three aspects. Right. So we can do it by, like you said, um, you know, putting advertisements on, like you said, our infrastructure, mm-hmm. utilizing our subway systems. I actually came up with an idea where we actually advertise the local businesses on the subway uh, stations where those businesses are right above it. I love that idea. And so you try to get the businesses involved. Everyone pays for advertisement. Millions of dollars a year. Well, why not? Why not the government utilize that? They have the most property, the most infrastructure. They have the most area where they can do this for. The same thing with the buildings. The buildings where tenants live. Why not use that for um, for the local businesses I and I, actually I this advertise up it to uh, lower actually energy costs on Long Island. If you if you know, go see here in New York City. Con Ed obviously is our energy company here, right? Um, who does Con Ed um, compete against? Compete with? 
I believe it's a monopoly. That is correct. It's a monopoly. Yes. So Two why questions. in the world does Con Ed have an advertising campaign? Why do they have Con Ed inside of their trucks? Why don't they have Eat at Joe's or McDonald's or buy Nike shoes or insert thing here? Why don't they have those things? Oh, cool shortway shirt, right? Why don't they have that on the side of their trucks? That would be amazing, right? They could do that. And then whatever revenue comes in, since they're basically a government-funded monopoly, a government-sponsored monopoly, the government can then step in and say, if you take this money, you must put us directly towards lowering the energy costs. They actually have trucks right now that have digital signage on the side mm-hmm. where they can actually rent out. And now how much exposure is in New York? There's 9.5 million people here, Larry. That's a lot of exposure. A whole lot. And a lot of competition when it comes to businesses. And there's a lot of money in advertisement. So why don't we utilize that and actually try to bridge those two things by the government actually becoming the ones that advertise for these businesses. It helps the businesses thrive. And it also pays for a lot of the, the resources and the infrastructure that we need. Yeah, but then we can't control people, Deborah. Did you think about that? I mean, that's it's kind of a downside. I don't get to control people. Well, advertisements actually are a way of manipulating people. Oh, I feel much better products. now. Okay, good. <laughs> now I feel better, but there's still some control involved. There is awesome. some control involved. I love that. Very good. So, But it's really their choice in the end. So your, one of your big issues and one of the biggest reasons why you actually ran for this, this education council seat is education. Yes. Right? One of your biggest issues. You have been very concerned about that. And I've mentioned many times when I talk about education, how the system is broken. We've got to fix the system. It, is, it isn't just you know, giving some kids services, which is what I hear all the time. You've got to give the kid services. And then once you give the kid services, it's over. Now, now, magically, your kid is perfect now because we gave your kid services. Very rarely is there actually – a. a a system to monitor the kid to really see if they're actually thriving with the service to see if it was the right service or the wrong service or the service provider is good or not good. Uh, I think I see that constantly. Am I right here? Am I wrong here? There are one two point million people uh, in uh, kids in New York City right now that are K to 12. Of that, 180,000 of them have what's called an IEP, which is an individualized education plan. This is something that allows uh, that child to have an individual plan for services, like you said, occupational therapy, visual therapy, uh, counseling, um, things that they need in order to thrive in the public school system. I do think it's a wonderful program because instead of having this cookie cutter education, we're actually seeing that this child needs an individual plan to make sure that they're thriving. It is annual. It is uh, evaluated on an annual basis, and the parent can open up their IEP at any time to reevaluate if their child is not being successful. So it, there are checks and balances into this program, mm-hmm. but there are a lo- also a lot of issues. Each school evaluates the children on a different basis. Um, a lot of these services are being denied. Mm-hmm. Um, it does take up to 60 days for this IEP from beginning to end to actually happen, which is one-fifth of the child's school year. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of time involved in applying for this, and it's also a very complicated process. Any parent with a child in special needs understands that it's almost like understanding legalese. Mm. Um, the standard of operating procedures for special education is this thick. It's okay. about 130 pages. I actually brought it with me so I could visually show it to, to everyone. Um, it's over- Go grab it. Grab it, please. Grab it. You got it. Let's do it. Okay, so this is there we the go. standard operating procedure. This is what a parent would need to know in order to understand their child's educational needs. In public school. And I'm sure they all read that thoroughly. Oh, of course, in detail. (laughs) Well, like I said, this is not something that's given to the parents, and that's another issue. When a parent opens up their IEP, Mm -hmm. they're given a basic set of laws, and they're literally just cookie-cutted 
taken out, and here you go. They're not told about the process. They're not told about, um, you know, the, the timelines. They're not told about where to seek help. They're not talked about advocates. They're literally kind of almost just thrown into it. And when you sit at your meeting. But my worry about that is, and look, I've only had one real time when I was really fearful for my, for one of my children. And she almost passed, right? It was a real tough time. She had to go to hospital. And I remember, you know, the mindset of myself and my wife, it wasn't the best mindset, right? We weren't thinking as clearly as we could have been thinking, right? We were in panic mode. We were in, oh my God, my child might die mode. I can only imagine that if your kid has special needs and now school starts, you probably go into a semi mode like that. Like, how do I make sure my kid's going to go do well? Is my kid going to be okay? And I, I would assume that a parent may not be in the right mindset. Am I wrong? A lot of parents of special needs children, every day is a survival. There we go. Uh, these children have special needs of, of a wide range of genetic uh, disabilities, uh, biological, physical, mental illnesses. Some of them are medications, some of them are not, but every single one of them is unique in how do you care for them. And so every day you wake up and you just do your best for that day. Sure. And like I said, each one of them, you have to research and understand these disabilities and understand these disorders and understand how so it is. So you kind of have to, to be your own your advocate, your own specialist. So that's what ends up happening is the parent is by far the best advocate for their child because you know your child every day, mm -hmm. what they're capable of and what they should be um, accomplishing. But like I said, when you go into the school system and you're trying to advocate for that child, you're met with literally policies regulations, uh, procedures, and it's a lot of complicated paperwork. It's almost a going into court, mm. but you're by yourself and you don't gotcha. have a lawyer next to you. Now, when people go into Even family harder. court, when people go into family court and I've advocated for this, they're assigned a lawyer. You know, no one expects someone to go to court and represent themselves. They're not. They're, if you are low income, you are automatically assigned a lawyer. But for a parent of a special need who's trying to get services, which literally is a legal process, mm -hmm. they are left alone. So I've actually tried to advocate where every parent should have the opportunity to have an advocate by their side. Now, there are nonprofit advocates out there and for-profit advocates, and there is a parent member program that a lot of parents don't know about where they can have a parent who's been where they have been. Almost like a mentor. Like a mentor to go mm -hmm. with them. But I wanted to expand on that program to not just have that parent show up at their meeting with them, but also have what's called a pre-IEP meeting where they can sit down with them and let them know all of the options, all of the services, and actually sit down so that parent can make an educated decision before they walk into their IEP. I like that. And in, as New York City uh, Councilman for the District 75 Schools, this is one thing that I'm actually going to be working towards, is trying to make sure that this, the parent member program has both of what you call the pre-IEP meeting and also a post-IEP meeting. Because like you said, you could have everything wonderful on a piece mm -hmm. of paper and have the most perfect paperwork. Doesn't mean it's working. But if you're not actually following through, if you're yep. not actually making sure that these things are actually happening for your child, you want to make sure you have a follow-up meeting mm -hmm. so then you could either reopen the IP or find out what where the, 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 the missing link is. So you're talking a lot of details, and I hope it's valuable information. And I want people out there to know, look, if you like what you're hearing, you want people like Deborah to be out here, you want to be able to talk to her, then do me a small favor, support our show. Head on over to patreon.com slash sharpway and give a little, help me out here, right? Help me get some good people on, help me make this happen. I wanna make sure that we can keep this going. So support the show, please do that. And if you wanna talk to us on the phone, we have a call in now. If you wanna talk to us on the phone, please give a call, 573-427-5463. And I wanna grab 
a caller now if I could. I'm not sure what they want to talk about, but that's okay. Caller, are you there? Hello, are you there? And they were lying to me. Are you still there? And we've lost her. I was lying to you then. We, we do not have a call. I was lying. Okay, so uh, let's let's continue if we could. So I know you are concerned about special needs. It's a big deal for you. This is, you're not supposed to be who you are. You're a New Yorker, New York City. You're a single mom, special needs kid. You are supposed to be a screaming liberal Democrat. That's what you're supposed to be, right? And at the stereotype, right? You're supposed to be that person. There are actually a lot of Republicans that have special need children as well. Mm-hmm. But they make sure that they go to their communities. They make sure they go to their families, make sure that they themselves take care of those issues. A lot of times, liberals and Democrats will rely on those public services because mm-hmm. that's what they're told. Mm-hmm. But being born and raised in New York City, you are indoctrinated to believe that the government is the way to solve all my problems. Absolutely. Yes. And that we are told that our taxes go to all these programs that help all of these people and that that is your service. That is your contribution. That is how you donate. You donate by giving taxes to the system. Yep. But I am there to tell you that the taxes do not go to the people that it's supposed to. It goes to a uh, bloated overhead. Yes. It goes to administration. It yep. goes to salaries. It goes to facilities. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it doesn't. It's like trickle-down economics. It doesn't actually get down to the bottom line. It doesn't get to the teacher. It doesn't get to the classroom. It doesn't get to that student. Some of it does. Right. You know, um, but you have to argue and fight for that and make sure that that money actually is going towards your child. And the position you have actually is not paid. No, I am completely unpaid. And like I said, I am a single mom. I am uh, low income. I live on less than 25000 in New York City. And I'm happy. So you're a superwoman. I am. <laughs> you are superwoman, yes. I'm fiscally responsible. I, love I know that. how to live on, on, on less. And, you know, like I said, I'm not on any government programs right now, even though I did fall into the poverty system at one point, um, which, by the way, only gave me $60 a month for all that paperwork, for all that process, for all that services. That's all I got when I was earning $200 a day as an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so look, I climbed out of it. I want to try to get back on a call. Is, is, do we have our caller back? Did he or she uh, get, get back to us? I, I hope she did. I hope I'm not a liar. So let me see if I can grab that caller. Caller, are you there? Hello? Okay. I, I, I think I'm a liar twice. Okay, guys, you're no longer going to believe me when I say I have a call anymore, are you? I'm like the I'm like the, the the boy who cried wolf. Okay, so no call today. I apologize. So um I tell you what, um if if some of you do want to, I'll tell you what you can do. Um if you're watching uh if you're watching this on Facebook, text I'm sorry, uh, uh put your question in the actual uh comment section and I'll see if I can get those questions text to me. That may help. There we go. Sounds good. Okay. So, in any case. Libertarians uh, always find a solution. We do find a way. Oh, we have a, hold on. Tell me one more time. Let's see if I am a lot of time. Caller, are you there? Caller, are you there? And I am indeed a liar. So, yes. All right. So, um, I'm going to text right now and see if I can have some of my team actually text me um, some questions. While we're doing that, I just wanted to let people know that although this right here is 130 pages in a very complicated process. The New York City does actually offer a family guide to special education services. And this is something that every school should have. And this is something that you can get that actually help you understand 
the complicated process in order to get your child an independent um, individual education plan. So I tell every parent that to look for this. This is not mandated or required to be sent, but this is something that they issue. And I'm trying to make sure that this is actually something that we give to every parent upon their initial application of the IEP so they have this guide so they can actually understand the process before they get into it. Awesome. I, I, I love that. I want to go into something else if I could. And as I, I know you're in education, what, where's your take on this? Meaning not just special needs, high school going into college. This to me has been a very big deal, right? We're prepping our kids to go to college or are we, or should we be? It's, I think it's, I'm so unhappy with what, what we have now, which is every kid has to learn ELA and math so they can go to college because that's the way of doing things, pass tests, go to college, and we're not thinking about this at all. Well, that's the common core of the standardized testing that we're requiring all of our children to go through. Mm -hmm. What's happening is it's a one-size-fits-all. You must be adequate and proficient in these things. We don't care about any other trade or any other skill or any other profession that might be out there. So we're not actually setting up our children for any other profession, profession other than the ones that standardized testing would actually yes, be for. that's exactly my problem. And not every kid, to your point earlier, not every kid's going to be a cookie-cutter kid. No. Right? Some kids, it's probably the perfect answer. I'm sure for some kids, this is exactly what they should be doing. It works perfectly. But for others, what are we doing? We're just making things worse. All right. I'm going to try one more time to see if I can get a call in this time. All right? Guys, let's see if I can do it this time. I'll try to get a call this time and see if I can do it right. We're going to try to get a caller and see if we can get him in. Caller? Are we there? Yeah, I'm here. There we go. We got it. See that? I'm not a total liar. How are you, my friend? Hey, Larry. I'm doing great, man. Uh, I wanted to say, I wanted to call in because I've been wanting to talk to you and Deborah both at the same time for a long time. There we go. Now uh, you got us both. Hey, moving forward, uh, I know the 2020 election for president's right around the corner. Yep. My Deb's election. running. She is. She's running. <laughs> Right. Yeah, she's right. <laughs> My election for county commissioner here in Indiana is in 2022. What is your guys' viewpoint on cybersecurity moving forward for libertarian candidates as myself, Deborah, and Larry, even if you run again in the next couple of years? What is the viewpoint on cybersecurity, and can it be considered a vital or viable topic for any election? I think, if, if I may. I think cybersecurity is a huge issue. In fact, I think it, in my view, it's completely underrated, totally underrated. We are talking about things like terrorism and nuclear war, which are all important. But what's, what's, what's the odds of those happening versus a cyber attack? Cyber attacks happen against our country literally every day. We are doing them every day. They happen commercially literally every day. They happen in our homes Every day, this is a truth that Tommy, you've hit the, the, the nail right. This is the number one issue because here's the issue. The odds are if China wants to attack us or Iran or insert bad guy, they're probably not going to drop a bomb on us because that has an actual you know signature. They know who it is. We're going to retaliate, right? But what if they could somehow, I don't know, shut down our electric grid, um, shut down a nuclear power plant, um, shut down one of our, um, our, our dams? Insert thing here, right? What if they could do that and say shut down our MTA? 
that would be devastating for us and probably would they be able to cover it because cyber is easier to cover. So they probably could cover their tracks. They could probably hire cyber mercenaries out of uh, Eastern Europe to do such a thing. I'm not making this up. This happens. We've done this to Iran already. Israel has done this to Iran already. This is, you know, everyone knows if you just do a, a quick Google search. Cyber threats are the biggest piece. And here's the issue. You ask any cyber you ask any cyber uh, threat uh, professional, and one of the number one things they'll say is, don't centralize. Decentralization is everything. I don't want one grid because then that one grid falls down, and that's the end. I want 200 grids. So now I have to make 200 separate attacks. But I have to add on one more thing, which New York State is doing a very poor job of. Blockchain will help with that also. The whole idea of blockchain technology increases the odds that if someone tries to make an attack, more people will notice. And if you're part of the blockchain, very often you can trace it back to somebody. So we are not talking about blockchain. We're not talking about cybersecurity. I think it's critically important. It's a bigger threat than anything else. And the libertarian concept of not having centralized control flows perfectly in to cybersecurity. So tell me, New York City. Well, New York City, like I said, um, and back in 2003, 2004, we actually had um, in the whole eastern side of – I remember. Of, of, it actually went dark. Um, yep. So, you know, it, w- it wasn't a cybersecurity issue. But like I said, all of a sudden, we had no electricity. Yep. And I worked at Home Depot at that time. I actually worked at Home Depot in the tools and hardware department. And all of a sudden, I was on break, and all the lights – you're talking the street lights. You're mm-hmm. talking everything just went dark. And so all of a sudden, you had that moment of, oh, my goodness. Now you have an entire city that literally depends on every, every day for their food. You know, yep. people don't cook. You know, they go out. They drive. You know, they use transportation. Like yep. you said, everything was just a stop. I remember that clearly. We had such a panic at Home Depot. We had to shut our doors mm-hmm. and literally escort each individual um, customer to the place that we need. Now, we had backup generators. Thank God we had something that actually backed up mm-hmm. our systems. So you want it, not every store did. Yep. Hospitals had backups to yes. their system, but they were emergency generators. Not everyone has that. I had friends that were living in tiny little cubicles in Manhattan and these apartments buildings and they had literally no way to get out mm-hmm. they had a i had one actually walk because he couldn't get onto the subway system had to walk to the ferry and where did he come to staten island <laughs> yes because he knew i had a car yep. he knew i had a home he knew i had a gas stove you know certain things that you don't think about Remember Absolutely. how many people have electric stoves they couldn't even cook i was actually cooking meals for my building making them coffee and i had all of my dry goods and all of my canned well, goods you bring up the best point right where was all the looting there wasn't any there looting. Was, this is New York City, guys. People, and, the, and there wasn't mass looting. There wasn't mass no. killing. And the cops weren't doing anything. You know what the cops were doing? They were directing traffic. How do I know this? I was actually in Jersey when this happened. Okay. And I, the reason why I knew what happened with that is because the radio listening to skipped, the seven-second skip hit. And that's why I was like, why would a seven-second skip hit? Oh, my God. Electricity, the generator had to pop back on. So that's how I figured out. Then my, then, uh, my wife calls me and goes, oh, my God, there's electricity. So what do I do? I have to cross the George Washington Bridge. True story. I get to George Washington Bridge. Th- there was all cameras then. Well, the camera's all off. There's no cops. So people are standing. This is going to sound terrible. It's, it's, I'm admitting something terrible. Hopefully, the statute of limitations is over. People are sitting in line to pay, you know, to pay. 
I just went right through because what are they going to do? They got no camera. There's no cops around. I just ran right through. And I went over 100 miles an hour across the George Washington Bridge. Because you could. Because I could. No cops. So I literally went across 100 miles an hour across the GW Bridge, came down to where I was waiting for my my, my wife. We, had, we actually had a plan. My wife was, work, was working in the city. And we had a plan that if anything happens bad, anything happens bad, you walk across the 59th Street Bridge because I live in Queens, and I'll be waiting for you at the um, – at the recruiting stations, recruiting yeah, station. Contingency plan. That was, that was my plan, always. So she couldn't talk. Everybody was on the phone. So I simply got there, waited. She had two of her friends came by. She said, don't worry, Lara will be there. I took all three home that day. They knew I'd be sitting there. And that was another thing, the cell phones, none of them were working. They didn't work because, yes, absolutely. So now all of a sudden you have your loss of communication. You yep. have your loss of your infrastructure. You have your loss of your buildings. All the food stores were starting to, to have their goods start yep. to, to go. And this happened, like I said, this in some places it was almost a week. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. So the first couple yes. of days, everyone panics. But then after that, you know, you start to realize, like, you can't stand, sustain this much longer. Absolutely. Well, luckily, I had a full tank of gas in my car. I was nice. actually able to get around. Yes. But I had friends coming to me in that need. So like I said, when it comes to cybersecurity, you have to understand that things like that can and will happen. Yes. And they have happened over time. Just in California right now, we have uh, how many people have no, no power right That's now? That's right. They shut it all down. They shut it all down. That's Just right. like that. So yep. even if it's not an attack, it could also be intentional. Yes. Or, or worse, they take advantage of a bad thing and then multiply and wouldn't even notice. And now you have people. Right, because now someone has the, 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 the grid says, well, shut this down. Then it's an attack. You shut six or seven or eight around. Nobody even notices. And that's actually a big issue against monopolies as well. Absolutely. Yes. Decentralization. Tommy, did we answer your question? Yes, sir. I know now where I'm going and uh, I know how I'm going to set uh, set this up. So. Larry, Deborah, I appreciate it, and uh, man, it, it, it's great to hear from both of you. We don't, with the three of us, don't get to talk nearly as much as what I'd like. To. I would agree. All Thank right, my friend. So Thank much. you so much, Tommy. Uh, bye bye. Awesome. All right, I think I have another call. Um, so to make sure I'm not a liar, I want to have another call. Um, if I could grab that caller, caller, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you? I'm sorry. I said, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Awesome. You are on the air with me and Deb. Oh, awesome. So what do you want to talk about? Or do you just want to say hi? Well, I'd like to say hi to you and Deborah. Awesome. Deborah, you Hello. very tall in that chair. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> so do you have a question or no? Um, well, I am uh, doing some stuff for... Um, parents in my area. I wanted to get back to the school thing. Go ahead, please. Um, advocating for uh, and volunteering to go into meetings with these parents with special needs children because I went through like a two-year battle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to uh, help out these people that haven't been through the battle yet. Was this here and, in New York City or was it someplace else? This is um, Ontario County, New York. Ontario County. Great. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, I actually live in Wayne County, but my kids go to Ontario County School. Okay. So, so are you saying you want to set up some type of parent organization? I'm not sure what you're saying. I, I love what you're saying. What are you, what are you, what are you trying to set up? Well, I'm not really trying to set up anything. I'm just saying, me personally, I am... Uh, volunteering with friends and family. Oh, that's awesome. To help out with uh, different school meetings for kids with special needs that aren't getting the treatment that they deserve right now. And 
Deborah is is doing an awesome job from what I can tell. Thank you. Awesome. Deborah, this is what you were talking about, the mentoring thing, right? This yes. is exactly what you were talking about. It's word of mouth. Parents like you, and thank you so much for doing that. When we learn about a certain process or a certain law or a certain way to go about doing it, we're the ones that are actually teaching the other parents in order to how, go th- how to go through this complicated system. Um, like I said, because it's very difficult to go through it alone. And so it's really the community that is coming together. The mm-hmm. special needs parent community is an amazing community that comes together because we all want the same thing and we all understand what it's like to raise a child with special need. And so we really come together. And like I said, I, I thank all of my parent friends and the community that came around to help me because it was their educating me helped me now educate and pass right. on that to other people. So community here is key. I mean, we're, we're talking about this, this idea of localization does matter, right? And I'm sure even in Ontario County or Wayne County, there's probably nuances that don't exist in New York City, right? And I'm sure in the reverse in New York City, there's nuances that don't exist there. The community here is a key, even from Tommy's call, right? The, the local community supporting each other, right? And right. I mean, this is a critical aspect that I think we don't look to enough. We are constantly looking to the big brother versus the actual brother. Right. Right? Or the actual person who's next to us. Yes. Yep. And that's exactly the point I want to get across is that we can do this on an individual Mm -hmm. level. We don't need the government. We don't need the school boards telling the parents how to take care of their children when their children are missing the things that they really need in that point in life, whatever it may be. Awesome. Thank you so much for that call. I appreciate it. And thank you. Absolutely. Keep doing what you're doing. Awesome. It's parents like you that are actually going to help these children the most. Yes. Well, what you might notice is if you want to help out, I appreciate it. But something else you might want to help out. You might want to get some cool swag. You might want to get like a nice cool shortway mug or you might want to get a, get a, a cool uh, shortway banner or a cool shortway shirt. Or you might want me to show up maybe even at one of your events. Yes, I'll do that. Just cost you. That's all. Head on over to patreon.com slash sharpway. Donate what you can donate. Do a monthly donation. $9, $48, 90 some odd dollars. 500 bucks. You're, you're rich? Do 1000 bucks because you're that wealthy. I love it because you know how valuable this is. And I will actually show up at your event. That will happen. Support this show to the best of your ability. Or head to sharpway.com and you can actually just buy it. Buy it online. Absolutely. Um, I want to grab um, someone who actually texts. I'm sorry, uh, put their comment online. And this is uh, for Deborah. How do you feel about the G&T program? And how would you keep it going or change it? So the Gifted and Talented is Yes, for people thing. don't know Gifted and Talented, yes. So the Gifted and Talented program, my daughter actually, although she's special needs, she's what's considered twice exceptional. And uh, she actually took the Gifted and Talented and passed it. Nice. And so... Uh, I do believe it's a good program because like there's an individual education plan for children with special needs, I do believe that there should be one also for children that are gifted. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is trying to spread this out into the same classroom. It's very difficult for a teacher to accommodate every single aspect. I do think it's a good program. The problem with it is, at least in, I know in Staten Island, there's only three schools that, that will accept non-zoned school children oh, into yes. their program. So now if you want to look at where those three non-zone schools were, they're all on the South Shore where the richer communities are. What a surprise that is. So it's not that the gifted and talented program in and of itself is bad. It's that it's not equal and and it's not available at every single school for every single child, both District 75 and and all the other districts. um, It's not equal. Can you explain District 75 to people who are not from New York City? 
So the citywide council that I'm on is a citywide. It's a citywide council for District 75 schools. District 75 is the special needs schools. Got it. Where every mm-hmm. child, uh, usually the, the more severely disabled, they're self-contained or they're also co-located with the other districts. But every child has an individual education plan. Now the other districts do have children with IEPs, but they're able to exist within their zone schools. Mm-hmm. For children that are not able to be accommodated into those programs, there's a separate district that's citywide and it's called District 75, and it's the only one of its kind. And it's to accommodate all of those children that have, uh, it's a little bit more funding, where the average uh, child is Mm -hmm. um, $22,500 for tax money. The District 75 student gets $36,000 per child. So it's for children that need more services, more accommodations in order for them to get their educational needs. Awesome. So do you think the G&T program in general is a good program? I don't know. I think it's special for the kid, right? I mean, I've seen kids thrive in G&T. And I've seen kids not. My oldest daughter was in G&D for a couple of years, and she didn't like it. And the reason why she didn't like it is it's not the program. It was the kids. The kids that were in the program were really concerned about the program. And my daughter was like, can we talk about other stuff like, I don't know, Teen Titans or whatever is the cool thing of the day? Is Teen Titans still cool now? It was back in the day. I don't know if it still was cool. Whatever the cool thing was, right? Can we talk about some of that stuff? Can Can we talk about ponies and like princesses and stuff? Can we do stuff like that? And I think she found a lot of the kids were really into just, no, I want to read and study and read and study. And, you know, I think that's good again for the type of kid who who's good for that, right? My daughter's not that kid. That's not who she is. It's very academic. Yes. And when we actually looked into the programs, because like I said, my daughter did qualify. The reason we did not choose it is because I wanted my daughter to have a well-rounded education. That's why I pulled my daughter out. Exactly the same reason. I pulled her out because she wasn't getting that. She was getting academics and she was getting nothing else. And I wanted her to be a a socially rounded kid. And she wanted it too. It wasn't just me. I didn't didn't decide that. I'm I'm actually a very libertarian parent. I really wanted her to decide. And she was really about... Dad, I'm not really enjoying school here. And so she, we put her into the honors program instead. Which and, is another program in schools. I yes. think the more options in school, the better it is for the children. 100% to I agree. Them. So like I said, the gifted and talented, I believe it should remain. The biggest issue we're having is that there's disparity of the availability for mm. which students can be in it and which schools offer it. Right. And so like I said, if every school had – now, my daughter's school does not have a gifted and talented program. Mm-hmm. You know, There's a lot of other schools on the island that don't even have the program for the child to even uh, apply in right. their zone school. Right. So if we were allowed to have that option to have an honors, a gifted and talented, just like we have in every school there's a special need class mm-hmm. and every school there's an ICT class – if you get the more options per school and making sure every school has the same options, regardless of district, regardless right. of zoning, then it, you'll see that there will be a lot more opportunities for every child citywide. Good. I think the issue is that we're picking and choosing which neighborhoods have which which programs. And I think I, that's I the imagine. issue. Let me grab, if I could, another call. Um, we've been good. We've had two in a row that actually worked. So let's see if we can get one more here that will actually work. I want to grab a caller. Caller, are you there? Hello? Hello? Yes, uh, you are on the air with Larry and Deb. Hey, how's it going? It is going good. Who are you, my friend? Tell me your name. My name's Robert. Hey, Robert. What's going on? Um, I was just calling in. I was excited to ask you guys. Um, kind of in a similar position as Deborah. I'd like to run for office as a libertarian. What would be your suggestion for a first step? So you're saying you're if you're asking if you were to run for some like a city council position as a libertarian, what's the first step? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Oh, awesome. Deb, go ahead. Well, uh, like I said, my process of applying, like I said, and, and actually running, uh, was three easy things. 
pathos, ethos, logos. And for anyone who doesn't know what that That's is. That's not easy. That's <laughs> <laughs> not easy. But go um, ahead. Many libertarians focus on the logic. All they the focus time. on just the solutions, just the facts, just the, you know, and unfortunately that does not appeal to the everyday person. Mm -hmm. And so when I ran for my forums, and they were forums mm -hmm. to run for the city council, I, I did it on no budget. I didn't have any social media uh, presence whatsoever. I went in first with pathos. Who am I? Mm -hmm. You know, and I talked about my personal story so everyone can understand that I was representing them on that stage. Mm -hmm. I was that parent. I was that person who fought for my child educational rights. I was that parent in New York City that was born and raised here. I was that parent that struggled financially. I was that parent that had to fight the system in order to, in order to provide, and I would do that for their children. So the first thing I did was my pathos. Mm -hmm. Who am I? Right. Uh, the second thing was your ethos. You have to talk about all the things that you've done in your life to show that you're conv a convincing candidate. You can't just go and say, I'm going to run for libertarian right now, but I've done nothing in my life prior mm -hmm. for my community. I've done nothing for my family. I've done nothing to better anyone or anything other than myself. You have to have some kind of track record. And so you have to show what your ethics are, showing that what you're saying right now on stage has been consistent in your prior life. The things well, that you've done. Let me touch that for a second. Now, now, obviously, if it's your first run, you're not going to be able to say, when I was in office, I did, right? right. So, because you haven't been in office yet, right? So, how does that work for you, right? How, how do you get the ethos when you haven't had the physical exact experience yet? There are things that I have done um, when I've worked at other jobs. So, I mm -hmm. talk about almost like an interview. Uh, I used to work for the government myself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm saying that on, on air right now. <laughs> um, but I worked for the Veterans Affairs. And when I did work for government in the past in a job, I actually reduced re review redundancy. Mm -hmm. And I actually went into the system and made it more efficient. I actually went in and solved issues mm -hmm. that the VA, everyone knows, was facing. I took care of the most seriously disabled cases. And where the average claim was taken almost two years yes, in, in New York Regional Office, I made sure that these cases were done in 30 days. In 30 days, the cases that were the most severely disabled by mm. my hands were completed. And so I had a track record of my performances in former jobs that I did run for office. I Got also it. was a paralegal for family court, which is what I do right now. So I talked about how I'm currently helping families mm -hmm. in legal battles and how I was able to apply that to helping parents in their legal educational battles mm -hmm. and how I had a, a track of understanding both federal laws and also uh, state laws. Mm -hmm. I also served in national service. I was in the AmeriCorps member when I was 24. So mm -hmm. I've also volunteered in my history. And I talked about how I actually wanted to make a service. And I worked for the New York City Parks Department. And I did uh, tours for patrons. And I did educational tours. So I had so a track record. So that was how record. you made that happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So the things that you've done in your community, anything you've done in your former jobs to make it better, anything you've done to improve anything when it comes to your family, former jobs, your community, anything that you've done, you can take that and apply it to. And this is why I should now do this on a larger level sure. as a politician or as an elected official. And these are the things that I talked about when I ran for office. Okay, that was two. Where's the third one? Okay, so now you go for your logos. Okay. Okay, so now once you have your, your, your pathos and your ethos. Logos is easy at that point, isn't it? They're listening. There we go. Now they're listening to you because now they want to hear what you have to say because mm -hmm. they can identify with who you are. Okay, and they can see a part of them inside you. 
And so when I talked about my logos, I talked about the actual solutions at that point that I wanted to do to fix the New York City school systems. And one of them, I'm actually proud to say, I'm currently doing. Nice. I actually kept my promises. I said that the one okay, thing you was- Okay, you're bad at publishing. <laughs> you kept your promise? What's wrong? Oh, I kept my promise. Oh my God. But uh, like I said, the one thing I said was there's so much information out there, but there's not one place. There's so many resources in the community, but we're all finding out word of mouth. When you go online, where do I go for a therapist? Where do I go for this? Where do I go for an organization? Where do I go for an activist? Where do I go for an advocate? Where do I go for all these things that are out there for us, but the parent doesn't have the time to look for it mm-hmm. or to know where to recommend? And so I said there should be one place where all the community resources are one for that repository. parent to go to. One place mm-hmm. where they have everything in their local community. And I'm actually proud to say that I did launch my own personal website that will have a one-stop shop in categories in the five boroughs, all the different resources that are in your community. It's a shell right now, but mm-hmm. I'm, what I'm going to start doing in the next few months is actually filling it with those local resources. And how much did it cost the taxpayer? It costs absolutely nothing. Oh my God, you are a terrible politician. This is a free oh resource God, and it's, it's www.specialneedresources.nyc. So you actually had a solution that worked, you kept your promise and you did not increase taxes. You know you're in the wrong city, right? I mean, this is just not how it this works around here. This is what a libertarian here. looks yes. like in office. There right? we go. I love that. That's what I want to hear. Oh, I love that. I'm so going to steal that. Say it again. This is what a libertarian looks like in office. There we go. That's what I want to hear. So amazing. All right. Did that answer your question, my friend, or no? That did. But the one thing I want to bring up, if I could, is the, the key part is she went out to the forums. I know we talked about what she did there, but the number one thing, you got to show up. We have a problem in our party. We have a bad culture in our party. And that is, I'm going to run for office. So what do I do? I put my name on a, on a ballot and I sit at home and do, nothing. and do nothing. Or I go on Facebook and that's all I do. Not that I'm against social media. It's nice. It's great. It's, it's nowhere near enough. It's a nice add-on. I like social media. Look, I'm on it now. I'm happy to be on it. But it's not enough. You got to be out there. You know, shaking hands, kissing babies, meeting people, talking to people. And those of you who saw me run, you know that I was doing over 30 events every single month when I was running. Actually, I'm going up again this Friday. I'm heading up north, um, heading up uh, three days in upstate New York. I'm going to be in, uh, hold on, Gloversville, Liberty, good name, Homer, and a bunch of the places in upstate New York. So you got to get out there and, 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 and meet the people. That's the critical piece. Get out in front and do it. Was that helpful? That was very helpful. Thank you. Awesome, my friend. Have a good night. Good luck. You too. Yeah, so look, if you guys like this advice, this advice isn't free. It costs us money here, guys. You got to help us out. Head over to www.patreon.com. Yes, I'm old. I said www. Shows how old I am. Slash Sharpway. Yes, slash Sharpway and give to the best of your ability. Help us out here. Help us keep this going and get some cool swag. You can get mugs, shirts, all kind of cool things. Absolutely. So um, can I keep going to a phone? Is that okay? Absolutely. All right. I want to go to another phone call if I could. The phones are rocking and rolling, so I'm going to get them while I can get them. So uh, we have another caller. Caller, are you there? Hello, are you there? Yes. Hi, Larry. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? Can you tell me who you are? Uh, yes, I'm Melissa, and I'm an Olean. I actually saw you when you were running for president. Um, Don't president? curse me. Don't curse me. No, Governor, don't no. curse me. Yes. Governor. <laughs> Maybe I'm wishing. It's wishful thinking. Thank you. Thank you. But yes, I saw you when you were running for governor and you came to Olean for some events. Yes, absolutely. I've been there at least three times already. Yes. 
Absolutely. Well, I had a question. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been involved in the educational system since about 1999 because I don't have any children. And I graduated in 99 before they had the regents requirement. Mm-hmm. When I went to school, it was an option. You could go for a basic diploma or a regents diploma. I remember that. When I was in high school, same thing. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. I, I haven't been involved too much in the educational system since then. But I wanted to know if, if either of you think it's important and should be sort of a requirement in the curriculum for yep. civics education, because that was yep. part of one of my classes where we went to yep. uh, town hall meetings in our area and we learned about different things involved in our community and politics. Sure. There are several problems here. Now, one thing I want to touch real fast, I don't want to make Deborah angry, but I, 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 the, the regions, I'm going to touch the regions real fast. Here's what has never happened ever. You're in a job interview, the guy opens up your resume and goes, Whoa, New York State Regents High School Diploma, you're hired. That has never happened ever. The New York State Regents Diploma is an utter and total waste of time and money and energy. It is useless. It is a hunk of garbage idea from a bygone era. It should go away immediately. It is worthless. It's a sticker on my, my diploma, actually. It's a star. It's a sticker on your I diploma. Have a, I have a gold sticker because I have a Regents Diploma, and that's that's all it is. That's correct. It is literally a sticker. It is. It has no value whatsoever. It is a horrible idea. And the worst part is they've made it worse now. There's a special Regents in this or a special... New York State's double down on a absolute hunk of garbage system. Instead of erasing it, they double down on it. It's a waste of time. Why it bothers me and why I say it is because we spend so much time focusing on ELA, math, getting regents. That's why you don't have things like civics and home ec and shop. That's why you don't have those things anymore. You don't have them because they've got to focus on what they believe is the core which is stuff that doesn't teach you how to be an adult. It teaches you stuff that a computer is going to know 10 years from now anyway or stuff you're never going to use versus how to be an adult. You are, Melissa, you're 100% right. I really wish schools would teach civics like why voting matters or doesn't matter, how parties work, what's the difference between a, a local government and a state. Most people, most kids you ask them today, they don't know the difference between a mayor and a governor. How do I know? I ran and people didn't know what the governor did. They were, they had no idea. Most people, this is true, can't name the three branches of government and don't even know there's different ones at a state level. All these things are critical. I agree with you 100%. In fact, if I had a choice, I'd rather teach a kid how to little like, I don't know, balance a checkbook or read a credit card statement. I mean, all those things would be far more important than, you know, I don't know what else, uh, reading yet another book that is going to be on Kindle by the time they're, you know, 25. So I, that's my opinion. I have to wait. Please, Deborah, I, go ahead. I do want to say, though, for any parent that homeschools, and there are a lot of parents mm. right now that are currently homeschooling because of the vaccine uh, mandate that happened, and I am in touch with a lot of them, they are actually taking control of their children's education. Mm. And there are programs out there that do teach yes. ethics and do teach physics and do teach economics. Uh, the Tuttle Twins, actually, oh, which is an, an amazing uh, children's series of not only books, but they actually have now... Um, also an online series, mm-hmm. and uh, they teach economics. So you can actually understand, uh, you know, how things work. and yep. how things, So like I said, there are ways that even though the school system isn't teaching these things, the parent can still, you're still the parent. Right. You can still teach these things. My daughter does not get the amount of education that her brain can, can, can absorb sure. in a six-hour day. And my daughter, like I said, she is so bright and b- above her school level that she's actually doing algebra 
and calculus at a fourth grade level. And so I'm actually accommodating on top of her school education Mm -hmm. by doing extra homeschooling at home for her. And so this is something that I'm sad that a lot of parents, they expect the the school system to do all of the education of life. But my, when my daughter comes home, she watches me cook. Mm-hmm. A lot of parents don't cook anymore because, unfortunately, they're too busy working. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of takeout. So they're not learning these skills at home. It's also Netflix. I mean, really. I know. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube. YouTube is a big thing. Yes. But like I said, there are certain things that as much as I would love the schools to be teaching, art, music. I did shop at home. Mm-hmm. And that actually, I got a degree in restoration of antiques and furniture. Oh, look at that. On my bachelor's level. So I actually took the, the, the shop in seventh grade. You know, with my little like, you know, whale, uh, you know, stapler or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, and I actually applied it to actually getting a higher degree that actually gave me employment. I actually have a trade mm-hmm. degree. So I wish that these schools were teaching these things. But just because they're not doesn't mean that the parent can't. Well, you've you can't enrich several your points own here. child's education I mean, it's funny, at home. Just this weekend, um, I tend to watch the morning. I, often, I will often watch Sunday mornings. I'll watch Fareed Zakaria's show on CNN. It's a, it talks about, you know, global issues, right? And so my daughter, who's 15, will sometimes watch it with me. And we'll have conversations on things, just what you said, right? She'll say, is that true? What about this? And we'll, and we'll, we'll pause and just discuss what's happening in the world so she can kind of understand what's actually happening in her world versus just whatever the, a, a book will tell her. I, I completely agree. But you brought up something else which is really important. Homeschooling is so underrated. And homeschooling, sadly, people are homeschooling their kids for the wrong reason. They're homeschooling because of the vaccine issue versus because they're deciding it's the right answer for their kids, right? And it's the wrong reason. Don't me wrong. If you want to homeschool your kids, please go ahead. I'm just saying that's the wrong reason to do it, but right? But it's becoming a blessing in disguise for many It is. Because they're realizing all of the things that their, their child was not learning in the public school system. Because like you said, it is so cookie cutter. Yep. Just learn these X amount of subjects where the things that we learned growing up mm-hmm. are music, shop, you know, ec- I had home economics yep. as well. Absolutely. We don't have those anymore because they're forcing so many things because of the standardized testing. Absolutely. And so yes. it's becoming a blessing in disguise. As hard as it's difficult to transition it is for them, I do believe that this is something that could be actually the direction for a lot of parents yes. who want to take back the control of their child's education. And make I, sure I that completely it's more agree. Enrichment. And the other issue to remember is, you know, if you if if we as New York State government, we should be saying, look, let's not punish the kids who are homeschooling. Remember, my whole plan for education was if you pass the test, you get a degree. Whether you were homeschooled or private school public didn't matter. But as you know, in New York State, if you homeschool your kid, all you get is a GED. Right? New York State, some of you may not know, New York State will not give you a high school diploma if you homeschool. GEDs, can you could still go to college with, though. I know, and but no it, one really even looks at high school anymore. But it's just an insult. No, it That's is. That's all it is. You're right. You can be just successful with a GED or without. It's just an unnecessary insult. And there's no bone. We should be. If people want to homeschool their kids, we should be like, awesome. Here is a bit of a tax break. Here is some benefit and because I now that, I don't yeah. have kids in my public school system. We're saving $22,500 per child. So give the parent Something. some of that relief. And not only I does it save agree. the taxpayer, that child gets a better education. The parent ends up having more control and over And the kids in public school get better education, less kids. Because there's less kids. Now, Absolutely. there is an overcrowding just you know, to go to piggyback on that. Uh, I wanted to explain that even though New York State as a whole is losing 100,000 uh, citizens, you know, residents. Over 150,000 150,000 now. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. New York City is actually increasing, Larry. We're actually losing now. We're, well, we're starting, New York City is losing population but gaining students. We're gaining students. Yes. Well, that's what I was going to say. There's actually becoming more and more students yep. every year. 
Um, and so, like I said, it's something Manhattan had 32% increase of children under five. Yep. So they're all going to be flooding into these schools. Now, I wanted to say that although the housing market, we're able to build up houses because they're private industry very quickly. We're not able to build our roads or our yes, schools as quickly right. because unfortunately there's a longer bureaucratic process for that. So what's happening is there's an overcrowding of all of our schools citywide yep. where these classrooms are having 30, 40 kids in it per one teacher. I know. We're now having difficulty of teachers actually retaining them. My kids are not both public school. I know. So like I said, you know, you realize that not everything is a separate issue. Everything is really connected. Absolutely. You know? Good. So, I'm like sorry, said, Melissa, home- we went a little bit off, but did we answer <laughs> your question at least? Well, yeah, absolutely. And and just to add to what you guys were saying about schools don't teach things that teach kids to be adults. Yes. When I was in school, we actually took a class that taught us about parenting, that taught us yes. about balancing a checkbook, budgeting, things like that. And it was sort of like home economics, but we didn't do any cooking. Yes, exactly. Well, home economics wasn't supposed to be a cooking thing. It was supposed to be exactly that, home economics, which included balancing a checkbook or Sewing, a, a, everything. Yes, everything that would how you would survive in a home, how to keep a home. It was all those things, right? Which for many people included cooking, but but the when I was a kid, we were still very much, you know, home ex for girls, you go cook. We got a boys that go do shop and make wood stuff. We were still thinking that way, which was silly. I wish I had taken home ec. Plus, the smart boys hung out in home ec because all the girls were there. See, I was trying to be too macho. I should have been smart and hung out with all the girls in home ec. But um, I think now who cares? I mean, home economics is good for anybody. I mean, everybody should know basic cooking, basic checkbook, just um, how to read a credit card statement. Most people don't know how to read one. Just Compound versus simple interest. Oh, my God. What's an interest rate? I mean, most people still – I remember – I tell a story often. It's like almost every other week. I used to sell cars. Right. So when I would sell cars, you would find people who were savvy and who weren't savvy. The person who was was less savvy would only ask one question. What's the monthly note? That's it. Can I afford this monthly note? I can afford a monthly note. The car looks good. I'm in. But the savvy people would ask questions like, what's the interest rate? How long's the loan for? What am I paying for? Right. Um, how much is this going to cost me over time? All the, is it a lease? If a lease, what, what's paying for depreciation? They would ask all these questions. But sadly, those people were the minority. The critical thinkers. That's correct. If I sold 10 cars, seven people cared only about the monthly note. Only three were asked. Some people didn't even ask. I'm not going to joke. I'm not joking here. Didn't even ask how much the car cost. Literally didn't even ask how much the car costs. They just asked for the monthly note. Now, if you're a sales rep, you basically can create any plan to put whatever number you want. You want 300 bucks? That's a five-year plan. You want 400 bucks? That's a four-year, whatever. I mean, you could make a plan and at any price. And many people didn't get it. And I would offer the price because I thought I was supposed to, I should. And they'd go, okay. And they would literally, I'm not joking, move the paper out of the way to get to the monthly note. When I'm trying to show them what the loan deal is, they didn't want to see it. They just wanted to see monthly note. I'm sorry. It's off topic, but I'm making your point, aren't I, Melissa? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm making your point. Now, there are schools that are are bringing back home economics. There are schools that are bringing back art and music because they're starting to realize that there's a correlation with having breaks in the ELA and the math is actually increasing those scores. Yes, absolutely. So we are actually starting to see a reversal slowly but surely in the schools that are understanding that these things are actually just as vital or necessary 
and they actually trigger the same, you know, things in a child that actually correlate to increased scores. There we go. And so hopefully, like I said, we do see that trend. Um, but like I said, anything that, you know, the school isn't doing, just remember, as a parent, you can always teach those things to your child. Take that time with your child yeah. and, and spend. Show yeah. them cooking. Show them how to balance a checkbook. Bring them to the bank. Bring, my daughter yeah. has gone with me voting. Um, I, she will, you know, introduce them to music. Do all the extracurricular things that you can to make sure that they are having that wide variety. I completely agree. And look, the data is in. Homeschool kids are no worse off than anybody else. They're, they're doing just fine. They're doing just fine. So thank you, Melissa. I appreciate that. Have a good night to both of you. All right. Thank, thank you. you. So, yes, guys, I, I want to keep, I mean, we're doing well with phone calls. I think we should just keep going. What do you think? It's fine with me. All right. Let's do We're going to try to get one more call, and if we can, hopefully I'm not a liar again. Uh, so, caller, are, are you there? Are you there, caller? One more time. Caller, are you there? Uh, yes. Hello, Larry. How are you doing? Please tell me who you are, sir. Uh, name's Clarence. I'm from Texas. Hey, Clarence. I'm glad you called. What's going on? Hey, uh, so, um, I briefly heard you and Deborah talk about monopolies. Yep. And, uh, if I remember correctly, in some previous, uh, podcasts of yours, you, uh, you said that New York is ran by a crony capitalist, not socialist. Yes. So, um... After hearing that, I also uh, realized that the the irony that I've noticed is that um, because the corporatism and the cronyism is so rampant, is that it's creating socialism because of its greedy and predatory nature. I would agree. Which, I think that that is without question. I think that's you're you're right. I think that has been a response to crony capitalism and corporatism, and that's given capitalism a bad name. And people have said, "See, capitalism yeah. fails." Because they look at capitalism as crony capitalism, or as 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 uh, you know corporatism, and then the backlash from that, I think you're right, becomes socialism. I think you're right. Yeah, and 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 to 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 keep on going uh, along this this road, I also realize that because of that fact, uh, people feel that that uh, fairness is non-existent. Oh yes, and and I. And and I constantly hear people using the word fair, mm-hmm. but can't agree on what it means. Like, for example, like for some, uh, fair is equality of opportunity, and for others, it's equality of outcome. Absolutely, so it's a like, huge difference. I completely agree. Again, yeah, yes, yeah. So so like how, so so how do we as libertarians reduce or combat the corporatism and the cronyism in order to? Uh, make the siren song of socialism as obsolete as possible now, to it, convince them that, that equality of opportunity under free market capitalism is the best way to achieve success. There are a couple ways that I tend to, to make this happen. And being in New York City, I, I, I know a lot of Democrats and I know a lot of Democratic socialists. And I talk to them. I speak to them. In fact, I have, I have uh, many people who are left libertarians in my, in my world. I keep many of them in my world for that exact reason. What you will hear me say often if the liberty movement, not just the party, the movement as a whole, if the liberty movement is going to be successful in this country, it is going to have to get better at talking to the left. It is not our skill set. Many of us are very bad at talking to the left. And we have to, and because of that, we wind up not grabbing a lot of people who are on the left who, if they just understood what you just said, they would jump to us. And my example of this is, if you out, go out there right now running for office as a libertarian, as a general rule, you will find people come from the right faster. 
They come to us faster. But they also go back faster. And they, all, they, they come for a bit and many of them leave. Some stay, but many leave. They come to the, from the left slower. But when they come from the left, man, they stay. They get it and they stay. They are some of our strongest advocates. They really stay when they come from the left. I want both of them because your points are exactly correct. Let me give you two things I do on both sides. One, I don't use the phrase capitalism. They've taken it. They've won. They've stolen my language. I accept defeat and move on, and I make my own language. That's what I do. I don't use their words. You, I know many libertarians are staunch. You go, but capitalism isn't that, and they fight on definition. It doesn't matter. The denotative meaning it only matters in law. Outside of law, it's all connotation. It's how it feels. That's what it matters, right? That ethos, pathos, legos she talked about, right? Logos, sorry, you talked about exactly that, right? So I yeah. want to use phrases that matter. Like You don't hear me say things like free market or, cap- or corporate, like capitalism. What I say is consumer-driven. I use mm. my own language. It's consumer-driven because we're all consumers. It's consumer-driven. Well, what's consumer-driven? That's called free market. That's what it is. But if I say free market, to your point, they hear crony capitalism, even though I didn't say that. If I say uh, capitalism, they hear crony capitalism. Even though I didn't say that. They hear corporatism. So I change my language. I make new phrases, new words. That's p- piece one. Piece two. Okay. I talk about fairness to the left all the time, and I ask, is it fair now? That's the issue. Is it fair now? Is it actually helping now? I brought up uh, it two weeks ago, just you talked about that, but I brought the idea of when you talk about unintended consequences or poverty and such in organizations, government organizations, they're usually not about helping. They're about servicing. And servicing yeah. means you have to constantly service. Helping means you're making yourself obsolete. Most nonprofits, their goal is to help. The gentleman, I forgot his name, who called earlier talking about from Ontario County saying how he wanted to go out and help others. He's not trying to provide services. He's trying to help people. In his perfect world, he'd become obsolete because everybody would know everything, right? right? That would be his perfect goal. So I think we have to start talking about fairness and saying the goal of fairness is to get as many people the best opportunity as possible. Yeah, I think that's that's mm. the way I deal with it. I don't know, Deborah. How do you deal with this? Well, because, like I said, myself fell into the poverty loop at one point. I actually said that a lot of these programs they create dependence. Yes, and that dependence they want to maintain poverty, not actually help you out of it. Which is why we're not actually seeing a decrease. Mm-hmm. If all these programs worked, we'd be seeing a decrease in homelessness, a decrease in poverty, a decrease in and all of these other issues. Well, but if we just actually, funded them more, Deborah. That's the problem. Just and, more taxes, then it would all of a sudden work. And like I say, the funding actually doesn't go to the average person. Yes. It goes to the administration and it goes to the um, to everything around it. And so what I tell people is what actually helped me out of poverty was not the government programs, but was actually getting independence and getting freedom from those programs and having that, not having that glass ceiling on top of my head and not having no uh, safety net. And so when I explained to people that those programs were not, they did not help me mm-hmm. and that what helped me was my community, mm-hmm. what helped me was being, uh, had the freedom to work, mm-hmm. was helped me was having not all of these regulations and restrictions that actually 
kept this pressure on top of me when I was actually had the freedom to actually run my own life. Mm-hmm. More freedom actually meant more independence, which meant more money, which meant more success. Mm-hmm. And so when I explain to people my own personal story and how all those things out there, they don't actually help the very people they're supposed to. Like you said, every law has its loophole. Mm-hmm. Every law, you know, may have its good, uh, con- you know, intended consequences. But what they're actually doing is they're just creating a lot more, you know, um, what do you call it? Virtue signaling. Mm, yes, absolutely. And it's not actually mm. helping the very people it's supposed to. And so if you look at that, how many laws do we have on homelessness? How many laws do we have? Sure. You know, and how many, pro- there's 31 different social programs in New York City, 31 of them. And why do we, we need another one? You know, mm. just one more program and right. all our problems will be solved. Well, what actually helped solve mine was working. Right. What actually helped solve mine was being able to afford my the roof over my head, the food in my fridge, and actually weaning off of these 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 government programs myself. Well, it's funny you mentioned them because there was a, a stat that I saw from a, I forgot what nonprofit it was, and it was it was a, a nonprofit that helps people who are convicted felons. And the stat they have is the number one thing that will help someone not become a felon. Number one is being employed for five years. That once a a former inmate, a convicted felon, has five years of employment, the odds of them going to jail is actually lower than a non-felon. The recidivism. Yes, is actually lower. They actually have less chance of going to jail. That's the issue. It was work. That was the biggest thing. Yes. So when I tell people, and like I said, you know, New York City is full of you know um, liberals and uh, Green Party and 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 a lot of people. From the left, what I tell them is, it's actually it's equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, it is not. It's not equality. You know, mm-hmm. where we're trying to make everyone, you know, uh, I'm more important than you and you're more important than me. And we're all fighting for the same, you know, dollars or the same amount of things. It's equal opportunity. If you allow everyone to have an equal opportunity to thrive and succeed, which means less regulations. Removing barriers. Yeah, removing barriers like occupational licensing, removing mm-hmm. the restrictions for small businesses and for people to actually climb themselves out of poverty. Then all of a sudden you'll start to see more success. Well, I think you, you've seen that in the past in most poor communities, particularly immigrant communities, black and brown communities. In fact, that's the war on drugs, right? The war on drugs is literally people finding whatever they can make and sell to create businesses, and it happens to be illegal substances. I think you find that constantly. There's actually a charity called, if I'm not mistaken, called Defy, and they're literally about taking people who are nonviolent drug dealers and giving them business plans and getting them uh, you know set up with MBAs. So they can actually go off and run businesses because they know how to run a business, just the illegal one. So do it legally. Yes, I think it's completely true. And like I said, you have your positive rights and your negative rights. And a lot of libertarians, you know, they conflate the two. But positive rights are actually giving you an opportunity. But the negative rights are just leave me alone. Yes. Just don't punish me. Yes, absolutely. You know, we actually just stop punishing people. Absolutely. That in and of itself, like you said, you know, will allow them to thrive. Mm -hmm. 100%. Clarence, is is, is that? uh, Go ahead. Well, uh, actually, I, I also, uh, like, on that note, um, like, when you were running for governor, like, it seems like you, instead of you, like, just, just coming out right and just fighting, like, the system, quote-unquote, it seemed, it seemed like you offered solutions that were based around incentivizing the cronies to stop being cronies. Absolutely. Uh, you you read it perfectly. So, yeah, so, so, so like, is, are, are there any extra... Uh, like steps involved or or, or or are there any other ways to like financially incentivize these people who who are afraid or, or just greedy enough to not uh, do their job well enough to where they're no this is this is enough? the answer I, I, there's no way that I can stop every person from being bad or doing something wrong 
I want to create a good system or good culture that means the good people come to the top, the mediocre people get better, and the bad people walk away or become apathetic. Either one of those is fine if I can create that kind of system. And when I create an environment to where government monopoly is no longer government monopoly, that other people and other entities can compete, once that happens, they have to get better. And even, in fact, even the government has to get better or it goes away. This is happening right now with you with you're talking about the idea of um, homeschooling, right? If, if more and more people homeschool, then government will have to get better or it will go away, right? So either way, it works. Competition is healthy. Yes, but I don't use the word competition because that's again, it's goes back word. to the bad word. People don't like competition. When they hear competition, they hear, I'm going to lose. That's what they hear. So I say more options, more choices. People like options yeah. and choices. So we provide more options to break government monopoly because everyone knows monopoly is bad. Government monopoly is not any better. And yeah. I just wanted to add like the banning. You know, we wanted to talk about how if you wanted to have, you know, like you said, more options, more choices, mandates, which makes forces everyone to do something, <laughs> yes. or banning, which is the opposite, forcing everyone not to do something, is a way that the government controls yes. the market, controls people's when it comes to their freedom of choice of either doing something or not doing something. And so I tell everyone that the libertarian is, should be against all mandates. We should be against all banning. Yes. Because it really is this, 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 you know, this, this two sides of the same coin. If you force everyone in the population to do something or everyone not to do something, you're not giving the individual their rights. Absolutely. To make the choices that they mm. need in order to thrive. Awesome. Clarence, thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Hey, you too. Awesome. That was a nice call. Clarence talking from Texas. We have people from all over the place. Indiana, Texas, upstate New York. I love it. Awesome. Um, do we have another call? We do have another. Well, look, we are rocking and rolling tonight. You are popular. We're all libertarians. Look at this. Thank you. Lots of calls tonight. I want to grab one more call if I could. Um, so, so, are you there, caller? Hello. Am I losing you? I think I hear something. We've lost him. Okay, off we go. We've lost him. All right. So, if I could, I, I kind of want to go on that banning mandate thing. And this goes along with homeschooling, right? We did brought it up um, briefly. The idea of vaccinations in New York has become a big deal. And the funny thing is, when I first started running, now it's over two years ago, when I first started running, because my kids were older, I thought vaccinations were not a big deal. I thought, who cares about this stuff? It's already done, right? It's, who cares? I thought it was a, a very minor deal. Boy, was I wrong. Vaccines are a big deal. It's a hot topic right now. Yes, and I was I thought it was going to be nothing like who cares. I didn't even have a policy for it. I thought it was that unimportant. I was so wrong. But as I crossed the state, people started talking about it. And at first I didn't understand why, I wasn't sure what was right, what was wrong, and so I started to go back to it. And of course, my policy is always the same concept. I always go to why is government forcing you to do something, all those kind of things, but there was a personal issue for me. And that was I'm not anti-vax. Right, my kids are vaccinated. I'm not anti-vax. So I thought, okay, so why are people anti-vax or anti-vax? People started telling me about the science. And then I would tell them, I don't care about the science. They said, but Larry, you have to know if it works or not. And I'm like, no. And they would then say, but Larry, what a herd immunity. I get it, but I don't need to care about the science. They get mad at me. And they'd say, why? I said, because I don't want the government deciding what we will have to inject into every single human being, period. It's a monopoly on medicine. That is correct. And not just that, it's it's a scary scenario for the future. Once we say, and you know this, you're a paralegal. Once you start a precedent, 
everything explodes. And that's actually what's happening right now. Bingo. Once you say government can decide what goes in citizens, then government can decide what goes in citizens, period. It doesn't matter what it is. They use the fear of the measles epidemic. Mm Mm-hmm. And they took that to mandate the entire vaccine schedule. Yep. And what I wanted to talk about was the fact that if it truly was just the one measles that was actually starting to get out of control, why didn't they just mandate that one vaccine? If it was truly about public safety at that moment, why was it only that one vaccine? Why was it the entire schedule? Why? Because they had to remove the religious exemption to mandate the entire schedule so they could start adding more vaccines onto that schedule. So I wanted to tell everyone that I'm not anti-vax, I'm not pro-vax. I'm anti-government reach, yes. government overreach. I'm against mandates. I'm against the government telling me what I can do with my child. And I understand that this is a very hot topic. Mm-hmm. But what people have to understand is the individual is a unique person with a, d- a unique genetic code, unique disability. I, and I oversee uh, 26,000 special need children that have a variety of rare genetic diseases, special needs, mental, bi- physical, biological differences from the general population that these vaccines were studied for. Right. So, now you're so the vaccines aren't it. even the vaccines aren't even studied in this population of people at all. I have a degree in IO psychology and what that is is we study we, we conduct st- testing and studies and we make sure that whenever we conduct a study that it's valid, it's reliable and is representative of the population. Whenever you conduct a study and a lot of medicines do that, whenever you look at it they're saying I want someone from the ages of 25 to 35 that's on a medication that has no history of X Y and Z. And that's what they use in order to study their product because that's what they're expecting sure. for mm-hmm. that product to be used on. Right. Whenever you look at a certain medicine, they'll always be then the, the slip of, you know, side effects and things like that. So like I said, when they study certain vaccines for the last, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they never tested it on certain people with genetic differences, that rare genetic disabilities. Mm-hmm. Now those children are being forced to inject it but, with this but vaccine. But isn't the argument, isn't the argument, look, Deb, that's not true because there's a medical exemption, right? What you're talking about is the- Is, is the religious, Which, right. by the way- you can't not have a religious exemption. It's in the First Amendment, by the way. I mean, if you're going to have an exemption, it should be the – you got to keep the religious one. That's also, in the First Amendment. But New anyway – Our New York State Constitution also says all children shall be educated. All children shall be educated. That's in our New York Constitution. Yes, I know. And we have so to pay for We have to pay have for to grades pay for 1 that. through 12. There's I know also, that. Yes. Like I said, there's federal but let me, laws. But let me go back right. to this piece, right? We'll the the, the argument is, but Deb, that's not true. There's medical. medical. So when you actually look at the medical exemption – you don't realize how unbelievably impossible it is for these parents to qualify their children that have seizure disorders, epilepsy. Um, and like I said, there's a million, there, there, uh, gout, there's tons of things that you and I have never heard of, but these special need children are suffering from. And they're not qualifying for these medical exemptions for two reasons. One, the doctors are scared out of their minds to even write this medical exemption for fear of losing their license. I've had actual parents tell me that doctors are afraid that last year they had no problem writing the medical exemption, but these parents were like, well, it's okay, I'll just do the religious exemption. It was a much easier way to make sure that this child that has a genetic issue or a disability, Mm -hmm. you know what, they had a reaction, whether it's allergic reaction or, Mm -hmm. or another reaction, you know what, I'll just stay with the religious exemption, which was around for 60 years. Right. And then one day turned overnight, became criminals. Right. 
So, yeah. and like what That's I, a New York state thing, by the way. It is. Same thing with gun laws. Yes, Same thing with every criminals. other law. That's thing. Well, anyone who understands gun rights should yeah. understand that this is what happened. One day, they were law-abiding citizens. No one batted an eye for 60 years. The next day, turned criminals, criminals. Yep. horrible parents. These yes. children should not be in school. But it wasn't just public schools. They went after private schools and yep. parochial schools. Mm-hmm. Now, these private institutions that people privately pay for should have the right for whatever rules that they want. And that is very anti-libertarian to force now religious schools, of all things, and private schools, to have rules that the government decides for them. So, so homeschool became the only option. But going back to the medical yeah. exemption, neither these doctors are not writing it because they're in fear of writing it for losing their licenses because that's how much these, these companies and, and this government overreach is now on top of them. But the second is even when they are writing these exemptions, Larry – the schools are denying it. Mm. So now these special needs children are being caught in a bureaucratic nightmare because they were under one law. They're being transferred over to another. These doctors, the doctors that evaluate them, know the medical history, are saying that these children cannot, just like the immunocompromised, these children cannot accept vaccines that they will be harmful to their health, filling out the paperwork. The schools are still denying these parents and these children an education. So as much as you want to say, oh, well, medical, 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 in order to get a medical qualification, it's almost near impossible and almost no one qualifies. You have to literally almost die of anaphylactic shock for every single vaccine in order to get an exemption, which means that there's about 15 vaccines on the schedule. Your child would have to practically die 15 times to be exempt from these vaccines. Wow. It is literally that impossible. And these are medically fragile chi- children. So so what I when I was running, I, I said I had an answer and I still think I have a good one. And that is n- make it so where... It's just not mandated. And what I mean by that, actually open up the idea that anyone could have vaccines, right? Um, CVS could create their own vaccine if they wanted to. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't, uh, what companies make vaccines? I don't know. what companies Merck. Make, Merck could make their own vaccine, whatever. But they're a anyone, monopoly and that's the thing. Yes. Without, a monopoly once on you vaccines. don't have a monopoly, right, and anyone can buy it at the local CVS or the whatever store, now what winds up happening? If it's just – if it's open like that, now I can start an actual campaign and let you know. You can hey, research the ingredients. Yes. Hey, Deborah, I would like you to take, to, take my, to take my vaccine. And you might go, I can't because I don't like this ingredient. Well, we make one without that ingredient. How so simple, Mabari. How simple. Just yes. having the choices. and Having not the ha- choices. Medicine should not be a monopoly. Absolutely. And I just wanted to say uh, a few weeks ago, I ended up having an infection and I went to my doctor and I asked, doctor, I need a medicine because I have an infection. So he gave me a script for an antibiotic. I actually wrote, brought the insert with me. On the side effects of this, this is something that they prescribe to everyone. When you look at the side effects, one of the side effects literally said may cause death. Yes. Okay. This is on an antibiotic that we give out. Yep. You know, but there was enough people in the study to warrant that side effect to be written in the insert. It also said may cause hallucinations mm-hmm. and uh, thoughts of suicide. Maybe that's how you get death. <laughs> Maybe that's how you <laughs> Maybe get that's death. how that works. Yes. So like I said, so there's enough. It might be 1%. Sure. Yes, 99% of the time you can get a medicine, whether it could be aspirin or penicillin, which we both know there are certain people out there that Can't cannot take that. aspirin. Correct. Now, they're great medicines. I'm not saying vaccines do not cure or prevent diseases, but there's still that 1%, the individual that may not be able to take it. And if we're forcing everyone and having to fill up processes and paperwork and, and government oversight. 1% and you didn't fill of out. 9 million New York City people is a lot of people who die. 
Well, I know with the HPV vaccine, which, by the way, is the next one that they're going to be mandating. And if you want to know, there's about 20 to 30 laws right now that they're pending because of this religious uh, uh, repeal. Mm -hmm. There's about 20 or 30 more now that they're trying to push right through. Of course, that's the precedent. Once they say they can, And that's what's happening. So whether or not you believed, you know, you should or shouldn't, we just gave a complete Pandora's box open to now for them regulating everything else. Absolutely. And some of these things are taking away parental rights. But what happens when it becomes the food now? What happens when someone says, well, you shouldn't eat a food or should eat a food? Well, what, what Bloomberg tried when, to do that with the sugar, if you remember, with the sodas. Yeah, well, that, no, that wasn't what she going about. That was a limitation. I'm saying literally what happens when they say, you know, vaccines protect you and so do antioxidants. So everybody should have a glass of red wine. Everyone should have peanuts. Everyone should have peanuts. Because peanuts are protein. Whatever. So we're going to mandate peanuts. Mandate any, whatever that thing regardless is. Regardless if you have allergies, regardless if you have reactions. Re- regardless if you're a Muslim and can't soybeans. have wine. I'm allergic to soybeans, but, but soybeans but, but, uh, are great. But hold on. the Now the religious exemption is gone. So what if you're a Muslim and you can't have wine? You have to. Because that's the antioxidant they want. What about mandating meat to vegans? Meat to vegans. Absolutely. Now yes. what if these were ingredients? Not in- kosher food to observant Jews. Insert thing Gelatin. here. Gelatin. I gelatin. Have, I'm, 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 I eat kosher and I do not eat gelatin. There we go. Gelatin. What now, happens when that's required? What if it's in a medicine? Yes. I, I completely, all those are bad. So and like I, I said, so this is, this is the Pandora's box that has yes. been opened. Now, when it comes to HPV, there are actual statistics. Anyone who believed that the entire vac- the schedule was fine, even they are understanding how bad the HPV has been because it hasn't been around for that long. Yeah. Gardasil is, is the one. There are two HPV vaccines, but only one of them, Monopoly, is, in, is available in New York. We're not even available the other option. There we go. We have to take only the one for the actual company that's in New York. If you, let's just think about that for a moment. Yep. You know, if you really want to think about what's going on behind, you know, uh, the, you know, behind the, what is it, the curtain. Yes. But uh, out of 29 million people, which is a lot that took it, you want, you know, it's about the same statistics of all of New York State, 29 million it's about, it's about 19, 19 million 5. New Yorkers. Give so 29.9 million people have taken uh, Gardasil. Of that, 7,244 got reactions. Now, out of that, there was 210 deaths. Wow. 200, this is statistics. These are actual facts, actual statistics. 3% of the 7,244 reactions ended up in death. Now, yes, was it a small percent? Absolutely. Do those 210 people still matter as individuals? And should they have been forced to take a vaccine that's now being required to every single student to attend public school? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. And by the way, what does HPV have to even do with public schooling? It's not even a communicable disease. So this is the Pandora's box that we have opened mm-hmm. for our children. I agree. And by the way, down the line, we're going to have things like stress vaccines. Oh, sure. We're going to have it. Yep. PTSD vaccines. Absolutely. They're going to have a vaccine for everything. And like I said, when you give the government the control over medicine... This is what you get. Yep. And like I said, it's not about anti or, or pro. It's about not letting the government make the decisions for me and my family. I agree completely. We're good. All right. I want to go back to the phones if I could. We are rocking and rolling with phones. It's so good today. You are a, a, a popular guest. This is awesome. I want to grab another phone call if I can. Uh, caller, are you there? You are a, a popular guest. This is awesome. Yes, I can hear I you. Hi, Larry. Can you tell me who you are, sir? Can you hear me? Yes, who are you? Hey, Larry, this is this is Mark. I'm from Chester County, PA, outside of Philadelphia. Hey, Mark, how you doing? We've met a couple. We've met a couple times. When yep. You've been down this way. Hi, Deborah. Hello. How are you? So, good. So I'm with the um, Chester County Libertarian Party committee here, mm-hmm. and I was wondering when you ran in New York City, 
if you had any local organization already set up or were you kind of on your own? Oh, my God, New York City. Also already, were there also libertarians already registered? In my county, they were over 2,000 registered libertarians. I'm so jealous. But get, getting them to do anything is, is, is incredibly difficult. So. Let, let me tell you my experience, and I'm sure Deborah's will be worse. Uh, <laughs> but um, but let, let me tell you mine. Um, I, had a, I had a big problem during my campaign. And one of the biggest problems is how it manifested itself. I'll tell you how it manifested itself. Problem was New York City. My team in New York City wasn't very effective because we didn't have a lot of people on the ground. Eight and a half million New Yorkers in New York City, and we have trouble getting county organizations to get 10 people to show up. That's how bad it is. It is horribly tough in New York City. You have 2,000 libertarians in your county? I wish I had that in my city. And my city has 8 million people. And how that hurt me tremendously is several fold. The first way it did is I couldn't get enough traction in the city to become popular in the media capital of the country. It severely handicapped my campaign. And as I try to do it, I would come back from upstate and say, hey, let's do some New York City events. And everybody would say, yes, yes, yes. And to your point, it never got done. Upstate was like, we love you, Larry. Come back up. So I went back up and did events there. And how that hurt me, and, and this is specifically my, my situation, is it made my campaign seem a whole lot more right than it actually was. My campaign wasn't far right. But it looked like I was a right libertarian because those are the only people who were talking to me, right? They were the ones saying, come on up, talk about right issues, come on up, talk about these things. So I'd go up and I'd talk to them. The left is heavily in the, in the cities, in, in, in most states, and in our state, heavily in New York City. And the left wasn't talking to me, and my team didn't have enough traction, and it wasn't large enough and didn't have enough experience to get through all the garbage that it would take to actually get into these forums, to get into these places, and we did a very poor job of it. And what wound up happening is my, my not only did my campaign look more right, there was another issue which I'm, I'm happy to share, which I think any libertarian running should, should be aware of. I found myself having an unconscious bias against left. To be forward, it wasn't conscious. I didn't think so. When my left-leaning libertarians told me this, I didn't believe them because I couldn't see it. I was like, no, no, no. I'm not – I don't have a bias towards the left. I just happen to keep talking to the right. There's no bias. And then eventually they started talking to me saying, well, what about when you said this or what about that? How about when you communicate to the left? And I was like, you know what? They're right. I had an unconscious bias towards the right because the right was hearing me. So I spent so much time talking to the right that I was better speaking to the right than I was to the left. And at the end of the campaign, most people probably didn't notice, I spent a lot more time trying to actively talk to the left better. And now I spend a lot of time talking to the left because I know it's important and I know I made errors during my campaign. But the biggest reason why that happened was because I couldn't get New York City people to hear me. And I'm not blaming New York City. I'm blaming my own people for not doing a good enough job, me not knowing better, me not forcing it, my team for not being effective, not enough, having not enough bodies on the ground. And on top, the left of New York City had, in my case, they had Cynthia Nixon, and she was their Jesus, so she was going to you know, save them, so they didn't want to talk to me. So I think I had trouble doing that. To your point about getting libertarians to do something, here's the issue. You have to give them a mission. You have to give them a reason. When I was running... Remember something, there's only 7,000 libertarians registered in all of New York State when I ran. Only 7,000 in the entire state of almost 19 million people. 
Yet I got over 100,000 votes, probably like 200,000 votes. So why did I get so many? By doing what I said, going out there, shaking the trees, bringing people aboard, shaking hands and making things happen. Now I have a whole lot more. And we probably have, I'm going to guess, maybe 20 or 30,000 libertarians now. I'm going to guess we'll know in about a month. They'll put the numbers out in about a month. I'm going to guess 20 or 30,000. So we've probably tripled the number of libertarians. But it was easy when I was running because there was a mission. When I wasn't running, we fight against each other. We begin to collapse. So the goal is to have either good candidates or good missions, like we're going to repeal this or fight this or change this or do something. You can't just go, we're libertarians, fight the power. You will get nobody doing anything. You've got to find it. We're going to try. We're going to get Deb elected again, right? Yeah, we all get behind her and now we rush behind her now, right? And the other point you have to realize is after failure, you have to keep going because most of us are going to fail. To be forward, I think, and I, I mean this with love, I think most people thought you were going to fail. I didn't. I think most people did, though. <laughs> I think most people in New York thought you, because we always failed in New York City. So we thought you were going to fail. I'll be honest, I didn't get much support. Yes, yours was worse than mine. I had failed support, but I had some support. You had worse than me. So I'll stop yapping. Mine was bad. You're right. My answer is find mission, and you will find people stepping up. If you just say we're libertarians, they're going to fall asleep. So um, I was involved in my in my local county chapter. In fact, that's actually how um, I had a friend introduce me to libertarianism, and he brought me to a meeting in my local county chapter. And on the first day, I became the secretary. There we because go. Because there wasn't enough people. Yes. There wasn't <laughs> enough people. So the first day, they ended up giving me a position. But you know what? I wanted – I was new. I was fresh. Um, I was passionate. And I went with it. And I actually ended up bringing people to our meetings. And I ended up becoming the vice chair for a very short period. And in that time, I actually started having events and going out to our community. But I noticed I was one of the few that actually wanted to go out to the public. But the thing was, is because I was part of the public, I was going out already. I knew my town. I knew my neighborhood. And I had no problems saying that I was a libertarian and trying to help, genuinely help people better their lives. It wasn't about me. It was about helping them. And I think I came across that way. But unfortunately, uh, like Larry, you know, I had uh, some conflicts mm-hmm. uh, because when I was running, I didn't get any help. Yes. Uh, I couldn't get rides to the ferry. Um, I didn't have anyone, you know, giving me strategies. Um, it was actually my own friends, my own parent friends, my mom friends and my dad friends. Uh, my parent friends were the ones that helped me the most. It was mm-hmm. my community. Yep. And guess what? They were Democrats. And they were Republicans. They helped me more than the libertarians in yes. the city. And it was very unfortunate because I was running. Yes. I was I, running for yep. something. And I ran with almost no budget. I just want to put that out. Yep. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was taking public transportation two hours. I was, I was literally carrying my own meals with them because I, uh, I couldn't afford, you know, the Wendy's. So, like I said, but I did it, you know. And like I said, the main thing was you have to find your common grounds yep. with your community. Find the thing that people are angry about. And say, I'm angry too. Yes. Like I said, like- uh, Create you know, a mission. Create a mission. Yes. And actually, there, there, there was something that actually, um, I, I had a friend of mine just today tell me about it, Daniel Christman, we mm-hmm. all know. He actually came up with a wonderful way to try to unite libertarians in New York City. And it was an app program that was- um, I know he texted me. He texted you about <laughs> yes, it? He did, but yes. I thought it was an amazing thing because you, like you said, when there's no mission, yep. when there's no acknowledgement, we all kind of, like you said, it's like herding cats. Yep. Because we all have our individual libertarian causes, mm-hmm. but we're not realizing that what we need to do is speak to the masses about what the mass is upset about, yep. what the common population is upset about, and actually speak to them in their language, not ours, 
Not what is affecting me in my life, but what is affecting most people in most of their Absolutely. lives. Because guess what? They're the voters. Yes. And so, like I said, having an app that actually says, when I go someplace, I'm going to get credit for it. Mm-hmm. When I show up someplace and I do something, I get acknowledgement for it. So I think almost like a merit badge system. Mm-hmm. I think would actually really help libertarians, you know, and actually show that because we want acknowledgement. Of course. Any, anyone who volunteers, by the way, whether it's for the Libertarian Party, for any other political party or, or anything, the main thing that volunteers, they don't get pay. They yep. get acknowledgement. That's what they, that's what they, they, they live off If you've ever of. seen me do an event, want to do a live event, at the end, and, and I hope this will help you uh, also um, if you hear this, wh- wh- whenever I do an event, at the end of every event, I make sure I go around and thank them for showing up. And that may seem that's silly. That's payment, Larry. But yes, they showed up. And to your point, my friend, we have trouble getting people to just show up. So when they show up, I literally thank them. Some people get angry and go, I only got six people. I wanted 500. And I say, I got six. I'm happy I got six. Look, I run around now. I'm very lucky. I run around now and I'll get 20, 30 people, right? I'm not running for anything. But I ran for governor for two years. So, of course, that's why. But I still thank them. I say thank you for showing up. You had a choice. You could have been home watching YouTube, Netflix. You could have been hanging with your friends and family. You're here listening to me yap. You spent the gas money or the or the subway fare. Thank you for showing up. And I got to tell you, I've actually had people, if the events are close enough, follow me from one event to the next in the same day because they know it matters to show up. And if you do that, you can get people to do stuff. I had people who literally, this guy Nate was literally the sign maker. He was in his garage making signs, his own wooden Remember, I remember I saw the yes, pictures. Yes, he was making his that own was wooden signs, right? Why? Could he be making signs now? Sure, but why is he making signs now? No mission. If we give people mission, you'll be amazed how many people just step up and do amazing things when we give them mission. When I had one of my city council meetings uh, in Staten Island, which was uh, I'm the liaison for the Staten Island borough, and uh, the council does, you know, because it's five boroughs, we all take on, you know, different ones, and Staten Island's mine because mm-hmm. I'm the only one from that borough. Uh, anyone who showed up, I had uh, organizations show up, I had parent leaders show up, I had government officials show up. I thanked every single one of them, yep. Larry. I had parents show up. You know what I did? I went and I showed my appreciation. I said, thank you for coming because it was uh, 6 o'clock on a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. They could have been doing a million other things. Absolutely. But they came to this meeting because they wanted to help their community. They showed that they were passionate. They showed that they, you know, that they had a common cause. Yep. And my thing was I didn't have any money to pay them, but I showed them their appreciation and I thanked them. Yes. And I Absolutely. think that goes a long way, you know, because like I said, unfortunately, everyone is hustling and bustling and we're in a rat race, especially in New York City. Yes. So it's very difficult to get anyone to derail from their, their routine. Absolutely. So when they do that, show them that appreciation. They want to hear and it. acknowledge it. Did that answer your question or no? Did I lose you? I think we lost him. So I, ho- I hope it answered your question. I hope it did. So, yes, we, we have got a lot of calls that I appreciate. That's good. That's good feedback. And I think the key piece, if you get the right. If you get people to get the mission that they care about, I mean, they will jump through hoops. So let me grab another call. We have one more I want to put on. I, I, we may get two. If I can get, if I can get two, we'll try to get two. But maybe we'll just get one more. Uh, caller, are you there? Yes, I am. Please tell me yes, who you, who is this? My name is Will. I'm from upstate New York. I'm in Washington County. Hey, Will, how you doing? I'm good. Deborah, pretty impressive. I've been watching the whole thing from tarot cards to refinishing furniture, now elected <laughs> libertarian. She's That's not playing right. games. Thank you. Absolutely. It's all I about survival Manhattan. here. Well, yeah. yeah, I lived in Manhattan for 12 years on Upper East Side. So you know. And 
now living in upstate New York, it's like a different country up here. Yes. Um, and I'm looking at school prices, taxes, and my father and I were running some numbers here, and we're at like $20,000 per student mm-hmm. in Washington County, which yep. is a very low-income place. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I heard Deborah mentioning $22,000 or so that they're paying down there. We're pretty close to that up yep. here. Now, when I, I'm 51, when I went to high school, I went to high school, I'm from Long Island originally, but I went to high school up here, and there was maybe 500 kids, K through 12. Right. Now. That was my class. Four, yeah. That was my class. K <laughs> yes. through 12. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, now they have the same school, K through 12, is about 450 kids. Okay. They have two to three times the staff yes. that they did when I went there. That's what you talked about. Okay. Now, this is, you know, it can't keep going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's unsustainable at this point for people up here that are making, let's say, $27,000, and that's on the high end, Yep. Uh, medium income, household medium income. You know, uh, I mean, I mean Washington single, County. That's that's uh, if I remember my Jeffrey. It's close to the border of of Massachusetts, right? No, I'm right on the border of Vermont. Vermont, sorry, Vermont. Yes, in that so same area. Yes, for Vermont, Lake George, Saratoga, yep. right above Saratoga yep. County. Okay, it's beautiful up here. Absolutely, it really is beautiful. Um, but again, the the school prices are are really hurting people up here. I mean, the taxes for me alone, being a single, well, that, I don't have any children, You have but. brought up a very important point, which I brought up during the campaign. It was the idea of, you know, how do you fix the school system without fixing every individual school, right? And again, I don't want to fix each individual school. I want to create an environment where the schools want to fix themselves, right? And one of the things was erasing the idea of uh, uh, standardized testing, Getting rid of standardized testing, which by default will get rid of federal funding, which by default gets rid of a lot of strings attached, which by default gets rid of administrators. And so you can begin to cut your administrators immediately. The average teacher in New York State makes about $80,000 a year average. Uh, New York City skews that a bit. The average administrator makes double that. So if you dump an administrator, you can literally either hire two teachers, hire a teacher and give raises, or just give raises, or just have a surplus. So I think that's a key. Say again? School, con- school consolidation is one of the things my father and I were talking about. We have all these small school districts around here that are relatively close, within 10 miles. Um, but, of course, all of these small little towns like to keep their own thing going, mm-hmm. you know, which is, makes it very difficult where they really should consolidate some of these. Schools. But if you me- remember also my plan was, was never about supporting the schools separately. The plan was always about how many kids in your district? Here's a check. Good luck. If you fund schools that way, how many kids do you have? And perhaps special needs kids have a separate dollar fee, whatever that is. But whatever that number is, here's your money. Then what would happen? There's no reason to have four vice principals when you only need two. You don't get extra money for that. You get a flat amount of dollars. By default, you would find them consolidate, but for the right reasons. I don't want them to consolidate because of cronyism. I want them to consolidate because that's how you get the best bang for your dollar to support your kids. You may want to have multiple school districts or or schools within a district. I don't know that. And as a governor, how could I know that? 
But what would happen is your county would do something and local counties would kind of copy and see what was happening. And they find the right answers and begin to copy and or decide, you know, this is a bad idea, whatever the case may be. The issue is right now we're supporting each school to fulfill every mandate. So we have to fund every mandate instead of just saying, here's your money. Good luck. And I think you'd see some changes. But I'm sorry, Deb, go ahead. So in, oh. in 1986, when I graduated, we had 100 more students. We had one uh, superintendent principal. Mm-hmm. He was the same guy. Yep. And we didn't have two aides per teacher yep. like they do now. Yes. Uh, and I guess this is all part of the federal co- or mandates, what you're talking about, yep. that, that require this. Absolutely. And, and my other worry about this, too, is, is something else here, too. Right. Is that the right answer? Should there be two aides for one teacher? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But my point is, once that's a regulation, that's not going away because that's jobs, that's money. And what if we find out that it should be six or it should be one or for this school, it should be seven. And for that school, it should be two. It's not changing. But again, if you just go, here's your money, good luck, the school can decide, for our school, we need three. And they'll allocate their resources appropriately for that school for those needs. Absolutely. Now, the New York State budget for education, a lot of people do not realize, is actually number one when it comes to um, allocation, uh, $34.5 billion. Um, the second is is Medicaid at 32. So it's literally the largest- For New York City. For, no, for New York State. New York State's over $60 billion. No, no, I'm saying for New York City, is $34.5 billion. That's a lot of money. Yes, New York City, yes. It's a lot of money. And it's actually, it's gone up. It, it, they just got an additional billion just this year alone. <laughs> yes. Now, that billion, keep people talking, more funding, more funding. Yes. The more funding isn't going to the teachers, and yep. it's not going to the classrooms, it's not going to the students. What it's going to is hiring more staff, more administrators, yep. or it's also um, creating more facilities or more buildings. Um, there's a school that just got built in Staten Island is costing $50 million <laughs> yes. over the span of four years. Yep. Okay. So you're having a lot more buildings, a lot more administratives, a lot more overhead. Yep. Now, private schools, instead of spending 22500 per kid, they, they spend about 9000 Yes. And the difference is because instead of having a hierarchy, if you ever look at the organizational staff when it comes to the Board of Education, you have a lot of overhead Mm -hmm. a lot of people that have different jobs and do different things and you have the chancellor you have administrators and like you said the average salary for them is two hundred thousand. yep whereas the teacher the average is 68 is that new york city is that right that's new york city yes wow there we go i mean it ranges from thirty-four thousand to 112 for the teacher depending on their tenure and also their specialty but the average in between is about 68 but all these administrators are getting two hundred thousand. And so if you look at that, that's a lot of money oh, on the top yes. that's not getting to that child. And so when you want to look about, you know, funding, that's a lot of a lot of it just stays up there. It's yes. like trickle down economics. It doesn't really get down. So when it comes to the smaller schools, I don't really believe in consolidation because a horizontal organizational structure where it's actually flat, mm-hmm. but you have less overhead and you have more just like one principal, you know, one assistant, and then you have teachers. Right. You know, and then you have, you know, you, you know, your basic staff. That actually works a lot better because that actually means the more allocation of the funds actually gets to the children. And I think that comes to transparency as well. Yes, transparency is critical. We're saying 22500 for child and someone sees that number, which, by the way, is the highest in, in the country, um, even though we're 37th when it comes to yep. actual testing. And uh, But 
if you actually looked at oh, how much of the 22.5 is actually getting to the classroom, right? then all of a sudden we're going to start to, people are going to see, well, where is the rest of that going? Absolutely. If you were to see the 22 and actually split down and actually see where each one of, you know, each dollar is going and what the percent is actually going in the whole structure, then you're going to start to see a lot of transparency. And you're going to see a lot of it is the overhead Absolutely. and a lot less of it is actually getting to the students. I think if I remember right, my, my high school, I think, had 2,000 people in it. I think it had 2,000 kids, about 500 kids per class, give or take. And we had one principal and like four VP, four vice principals. That was like it. I mean, we weren't, we did, we were not massive at all. I mean, we were nowhere near. This is also, by the way, we're the same age, my friend. I also graduated in 86. Just so we're the same age. So yes, I completely understand what you're talking about. Wow. Just terrible, t- terrible stuff. So do you, did we, did we deal with your issue or we answer your question or no? Absolutely. There's one more question for you. Now that they're starting, I don't know if you realize this, but the Senate is kicking off these panels to go over the funding formula for schools, which starts, oh, yes. I believe, in Westchester County. It starts Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's a, a public meeting in Manhattan December 3rd. The algorithm. Uh, yes, the algorithm. Yes. We're coming up with these formulas. And, again, the, it looks like this hasn't been touched in 12 years. Um, and uh, Governor Cuomo is, of course, fighting this along the way. Because the and, problem is you know, the algorithm is so confusing there's no way to know where all the grift is going. It's exactly what Deb was talking about. There really is, un- unless you basically have a PhD in mathematics, you can't figure out where all the money's going. It's almost impossible. You can't even figure out. I mean, it's not just, this is how the rich schools get all the good money because they know how to move the algorithm chart to where they can get the cash they want to get, right? It's, it's, it's embarrassingly bad. It needs to be simplified to exactly what Deb said, where anybody can look at it and go, aha. That's exactly that's where the, my tax bingo. money is going. And I think the transparency is key. Knowing the allocation of your tax money, I think is a very important step. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm paying taxes, I'm paying taxes. But nobody actually knows what they're paying taxes to. There are countries out there that on your income tax ref- uh, you know, statement, it actually tells you right there, <laughs> this is what your government spent it on. And guess what? Now you can see it all. Like, okay, well, 30% went to this, 20% went to that. And then you actually go out into your society and you actually see it's actually going to those things. So I think transparency is a huge key because we're literally just funding these things at more and more money. And because we keep thinking, well, this money should be going to these things, but they're not going to these things. They're going to other things. And like I said, we're not really knowing where the money is actually being allocated. So like I said, the transparency of the funds, I think would actually reduce a lot of the waste because now people are seeing where the money is going. Absolutely. And how it's allocated. And how it's allocated. Right. They would know why did this school get twice as much as that school? Why did this school get 10% less than that school? Why did this school get less money than, you know, it did last year? And and the biggest issue here is, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but if if right now in a school district, if you don't spend all your money. You lose it. You lose it. How dumb is that? Right. I I was aware of that. Yes. Horrible. So, anyway, my friend. I think that also perpetrates. Uh, how people work, because my neighbor is a farmer, and she has a daughter that's very intelligent, and she started kindergarten, and she went down there, and, and she saw the lackadaisicalness in the, the, the people that were working there, her, her aides, and she wasn't sure who the teacher was and who the aide was, um, and I think this, uh, how this bureaucracy, I think actually we live in a cultural Marxist uh, society here in New York, and but... Um, you know, when they're given these jobs, and like you said, they don't take them away. Yeah. They have to slow down to make them look like they're doing something. Absolutely. And they don't, must be necessary. Yes. And, you know, slow down and making us look bad. 
<laughs> so, right. Yes, right. absolutely. All right, my friend. Thank I'll you for the call. I really appreciate Dumbing it. Dumbing us down. Dumbing us down. John Taylor Gato. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you, for the, thank you for the call, my friend. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have Bye. a good night. All right, guys. Did you, li- did right, you guys. like what you're hearing? Was that a cool call? Do we have a bunch of cool calls? Guess what? Support the show. It is important. Go to patreon.com slash sharpway. Get yourself some cool swag. Absolutely. Get yourself something cool. Support the show. It really matters. I'm trying to give some cool conversation and give everybody access to people who are rock and rolling here in our Liberty Movement, to people who aren't even, even in our Liberty Movement, just getting people to talk and have good communication and to build out and to grow and to make things better. I want to say thank you so much, Deborah, for coming. Is there something you want to wrap us up with? Is there a, a place you should go see you or something you should talk about? Um, well, like I said, you know, um, I do have a Facebook page mm-hmm. and every Friday I do have a ask me a Liberty question. Oh, I like that. And every Friday I have all sorts of people asking me just general questions about Liberty because like I said, we're all, we all came from, uh, you know, from something that was not a libertarian. Mm-hmm. We were either, you know, non-affiliate, independent, Republican, or a Democrat. And we all come into libertarianism at different ages and stages of our lives. And so I literally have that conversation every Friday. You can, you know, whether you're a friend of mine or not, it's a public post. Ask me a question every Friday, and I'll have those discussions with you. And I'll help guide you in different places and different pathways and give you those answers that you need in order to help you in your path to libertarianism, which literally just means more freedom, more opportunities, And like I said, that actually brings us to more happiness. Like I said, it doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe or how you live your lifestyle. The main thing is live it, let other live theirs. And like I said, we could all be happier together. I love that. We're all going to be happier together. Head over see Deborah Altman. Thank you so much for coming uh, today. Everybody else, thank you so much for watching. I will see you all next week right here on The Sharp Way. How was it? What do you think? Two hours. That went really fast, actually. Oh my goodness.